Happy Monday and welcome to another sneak preview. I'm Connor Zagari. I'm Caleb Butcher. And Happy New Year. As per tradition, we'll be using today's show, the first episode of 2022, to list our personal top 10 favorite films of 2021. Before that, we'll also be listing our top five worst of 2021, considering we both saw a shit ton of last year's films. Be ashamed to waste all that fertilizer. Today's show is going to be fun. And going forward, we're going to be a bit more selective about what we see, uh, which we think will streamline the show for a new year. Uh, new year, new batch of potential future classics. Uh, I'm hopeful. I think, you know, last year was fucking crowded because we had a lot of 2020 runoff. This year, a lot more stable in the box office. So I think we're going to be able to uh, kind of, you know, not have to cram everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's still going to be the occasional, like, um, delayed film we'll be seeing. Uh, this year in 2022. So, I mean, you saw like off the top of you still have the Batman that got delayed so much. You got Jackass Forever that's now finally coming out. Uh, Black Phone's been delayed multiple times. So, there is still like some residue, but nothing like um, last year, which makes me happy. Um, but with that said, yeah, I can't, I can't watch that. I'm out. Um, especially because like, I look at what's coming out, especially just horror alone. I look at what's coming out. Like, we got some big name franchises coming out now. This year alone, I mean, you got Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You got the new Hellraiser, supposed to be this year. You got a new Predator. Like, it's like a lot of the big hits are coming. So it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch from Instrument. And sorry, like, I'm not rushing to see what I'm not. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, it is something that's just kind of happened with all of our shows. We start out with a certain vision and the show is adjusted as needed. You know, Filmgasm, Oscar Sunday, Sneak Preview, everything's had to kind of just be morphed into what it needed to become. I feel like Beyond the Bad is going to be our first show that's pretty complete out the gate, but that's because we've learned from the other three shows what we need, what we don't need, and, you know, it's a learning process. Uh, yeah. Sneak Preview is no different. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't. I don't think the release schedule is gonna be crazy, crazy this year. Not like twenty twenty one. Like I said, they'll be. There's, I mean, and not even just some movies. And I'm a gamer. And there's still games that are finally coming out this year that got played constantly because of pandemic. So we're we're still see the effects. I know, like everyone's worried. Well, fifty fifty worried, not worried about the Omicron variant apparently. So it's like, you know, it's just it's interesting. But I'm like you. I, I think we're gonna see a lot more. Of us, the beginnings of stable releases. Yeah, I think so, which would be nice, uh, especially for us, because we want to try to you know cover a wide variety of of releases. That's what the show is all about, you know, following the current film calendar. But you know, when when it's all shit, we got to pay for these movies. We don't want to. We don't want to pay for shit. <laughs> it's a movie ticket a week is expensive, and sometimes we're seeing two or three films a week. It's uh, oh, dude, I, it adds I up. Finally signed up. There's a there's a cinema like five minutes away from us. I finally just said fuck it and I signed up for the movie club, so that at least one ticket a month is on them. That's at the least. Yeah, I was I was part I was part of the um, the draft house uh, victory program, which I do like. You know, you get the, but you we used to get perks, but I I was informed that uh, they're no longer offering perks because they can't afford to give us free shit right now. <laughs> Yeah. kind of defeats the whole purpose of the movie club but it is free so they, you know I, I get it yeah I was like holding out for the AMC one because I had a 
in AMC where I lived in Washington. So I think they do like there's like 20 bucks a month and it's like three free movies like a month. Like it's an insane like number. I remember thinking like that would be awesome. Because I pretty much like for the most part, like average probably would be I could go months just seeing nothing but free movies with that. Like <laughs> but uh alas there's not one close to Cinemark and I was like, well I'll just do theirs and take whatever deal they got. I've got an Evo by my apartment, and then I, I go to Santico's a lot, which is a little San Antonio-based uh, theater chain. They've got a reward program i got to look into. I'm there a lot, especially because they have a lot of the indie stuff that no other theater has. Uh, yeah, it, I remember, like, it's funny how, like, MoviePass flopped and just died, and then all the theaters like, oh, we'll just do our own. I remember MoviePass. Yeah, that was huge for, like, three weeks, and then it just completely vanished yeah i remember the, that the theater companies effectively like killed it so then they could just turn around and do their their own thing <laughs> i haven't heard that in a long time that's funny well I remember. yeah going forward gonna be more selective gonna you know kind of turn this into like you know the best of the year not just everything but like the stuff we actually give a shit about you know, it enhances the conversation and it's easier on our wallets. Let's be honest. Yes. And it, it, and for me, like it pushes, like, I know you're talking about like to actually see what like the streamers are putting out. And I don't mean like Netflix because they're so like hit and miss for the first like nine months of the year. And the last year they put out all their Oscar contender stuff. Yeah. Um, so funny to me. Um, but things like, you know, and I haven't gone well, Ivan Prime really. I mean, you know, like Hulu, whenever they put out their comedies, they seem to be really good with comedies. Um, Vacation Friends, and point if anyone hasn't seen that yet. Um, but things like Shutter and Paramount Plus, when they put stuff out, they they tend to put really good shit out. But because they're such like, especially Shutter, really niche streaming services, you don't really hear about them a lot. So it's a chance to kind of see what they put out and talk to me about that a little bit more than the fact that everyone knows there's a there's a new Marvel film coming out. Everyone knows there's a new screen coming out, for God's sakes. Like, yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. We have an opportunity here to kind of embrace the, you know, the niche films and the lesser ones, you know, that everyone knows that, you know, like the Batman is going to be huge. We all know that. But, like, what else is coming up? Let's check it out. Yeah. Like, I know for a fact there's one coming to – it's supposed to be coming to Shutter this year – the spine of night that looks really really cool it's like in vain of the, of the movies like heavy metal and the old uh if you say if I, I hope i'm not fucking his name up but ralph bakshi uh animated movies from the 80s like it's in vain of that like and it it looks fucking sick and shutter picked it up to put on their service sometime this year they have not put out an exact date just says it's going to be a 2022 release yeah see stuff like that so we're going to definitely have, you know, our, our ears to the ground, try to be a little bit more, uh, I don't know, open, whatever. New, new year, new show. So brace yourself. But, you know, some things don't change. For example, let's take a look at what happened last week in film. Last week in film. Uh, this is going to be fairly brief. 
we've got one trailer and two tragic deaths to discuss this week. Other than that, it's been a pretty slow week. So let's go ahead and get this out of the way so we can do some top tens. The third trailer for The Batman dropped. Uh, the film comes out March 4th, and this trailer gave us our best look yet at Paul Dano's psychotic take on The Riddler, as well as uh, Zoe Kravitz's take on Catwoman. Uh, the more I see about The Batman, the more I get excited. Like This looks like uh, Matt Reeves has perfectly captured the tone of Gotham City, of Batman, of the supporting characters. The cast is lights out. Uh, Pattinson especially just feels like the perfect Batman. I mean, this thing looks so just right, you know? Yeah, no, I look, I've seen what I've said a thousand times. Like, I'm tired of seeing the trailers, even the movie, because it looks so damn good. Um, and yeah, I mean, this one just continued, it continues to make me really want to see this movie. And I even like, I mean, the cast in general, I mean, Mark Burt Passon, I'm, I, like I said, I've been defending. As Batman looks like Jerry Kravitz is going to kill it as Catwoman, <laughs> as Catwoman, and um, it looks like uh, God damn it, Colin Farrell. Oh my God, my blanks. Uh, Colin Farrell looks like he's going to like steal the show as the Penguin. Like it's, it's just insane how good this movie looks, and I'm just really need to be March so I can see it. Yeah, we don't have that long. You know, three more months. Then we get to do our big old Batman extravaganza on our four shows. Gonna be so much fun. Um, now for the sad news. First up, Oscar-nominated filmmaker Jean-Marc Valley uh, has died at 58 years old from a heart attack. Valley was nominated for best film editing for the 2013 biopic Dallas Buyers Club, which he also directed. Valley has also directed The Young Victoria, Wild, Demolition, as well as episodes of Big Little Lies and the miniseries Sharp Objects. And this was a shock, you know, a heart attack at 58. That's that's too young. And uh, he was definitely a powerhouse. Dallas Buyers Club is a fantastic movie. Uh, I have not seen his other work, but I've heard good things about all of that stuff. Um, yeah, this is a loss. Damn shame. Yeah, I I was uh, I was actually trying to shock by this when I saw it. I was like, so it was only 58. And I was like, what the fuck? And apparently it was like they're saying it's a heart attack. Or someone was like, "What?" Like it, it was really shocking. Yeah, I'm, I like, I actually, I have seen Dallas Buyers Club. I really liked it. I thought it was actually a pretty solid movie. Remember that was the movie that I was using to defend Jared Leto as the Joker for the longest time. I was like, "You guys gotta watch Our Comfort Dream and Dallas Buyers Club. He'll be, he'll crush this." And then you know the movie came out, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, yeah, a loss, definitely an unexpected uh loss. Yep. And unfortunately, it was overshadowed. Uh, we ended 2021 on the saddest note possible. We lost Betty White. Uh, the iconic comedic actress and Golden Girl star passed just 17 days shy of her 100th birthday, leaving behind a remarkable legacy and millions of fans worldwide. Uh, in addition to starring in the Golden Girls, White appeared in such films as The Proposal, Lake Placid, The Lorax, Hard Rain, and an endless plethora of TV appearances, including starring roles on The Mary Tyler Moore Show, The Golden Palace, Hot in Cleveland, and of course, The Betty White Show. She will be missed. She was one of the most beloved celebrities in history. And this was such a shock because we all kind of just assumed she was going to be there forever. Yeah. Uh, it, 
it really I wasn't I wasn't ready. And it's weird because like you know she was ninety nine, like she was up there in age, and I was so just like, no, not Betty Wright, no, do not take Betty Wright from us, do not do that. Um, and yeah, it 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 hurt honestly, it hurt. It was like she was a, a legend, she was an icon. I mean. I think we can all say that we've grown up seeing Golden Girls. I know my mom loved that show, so I saw tons of episodes as a kid. She was she was legitimately the, one of the funniest parts of that show. She was hilarious. Um, I actually really liked her in the pros also, and um, she she fucking kills in like Placid. That's actually one of my favorite roles she did was like Placid, and how she's just a complete bitch to those to the cops and the main characters with the I hope my alligator eats you. <laughs> and she just yeah she was a true like a gym you know american icon national treasure any term you can think you could apply to her and it's truly a a loss felt on that one yeah globally i mean everyone's kind of like really 2021 that's how you're gonna fucking end you're gonna kill betty white <laughs> like seriously <laughs> um give us a little time for 2022 like god but other people were like you know Betty White would have absolutely wanted to have died right before a hundredth birthday extravaganza just to like, you know, give people that moment of like, really? <laughs> like it was, it worked with her sense of humor according to those who knew her. And I keep seeing people say, you know, similar things like this, which I agree with is, you know, don't be sad. She's gone. Be happy. She was here, which is, a great way to kind of look at her, you know, she lived a full life. She changed the game. She was a comedy legend and, you know, we're, I think the world's a lot better for her being here. So celebrate the work, celebrate her and, you know, God bless. And thank you for being a friend. Well said. Oh, I could not say it at some point. Yeah. I it's perfect. Oh man. Rest in peace, Betty White and Jean-Marc Valley. Thank you for the work. Uh, so we all know what today's show is going to be about, top 10 of 2021. But before we talk about the best, let's discuss the rest. Here's our top five worst films of 2021. Now, if you've been following this show since the beginning, since the first week of January 2021, you know it has not all been gems. We have watched a lot of shit for this show. Like more than we ever have on any, more than I think we'll watch on Beyond the Bad. Because at least we know what we're getting into on that show. <laughs> Here, it's going to be a gamble every time. <laughs> this is true. I have tempered expectations on that show. Plus, I make the schedule for that show anyway. So, <laughs> I don't even make this. Nobody makes a schedule for the sneak preview. It is what it is. Hollywood makes the fucking schedule. We just react to it. <laughs> so, you know, we we sifted through a lot. So. We decided, you know, let's talk about some of the worst <laughs> films we had to watch this year. Uh, why don't you start out? Start us out with your number five. I will. I'm going to start with a director that I know you don't want to hear about anymore, but we're going to do it in the best possible way right now. A man you can't escape because Netflix won't let you escape them. Number five, Army of the Dead. I fucking, like, look, I will defend his Dawn Dead remake, 300, and Watchmen. I'll defend those three films, because I do like those three films. After that, he became incredibly hit and miss. Um, I saw his, I actually own his animated album movie. I always forget the title, and 
it's a fine movie. Like it's nothing great, but it's nothing bad either. Um, but man, like when he got a hold of the keys to DC for whatever reason they gave him the keys, it's like a Michael Bay touching Transformers and like what the fuck happened type of thing, where he just became to me a fucking like terrible director and just the fan but it was like as he became that the fan base grew stronger so like he got it's like he couldn't there's no one to ground him until i'm like your movies kind of like really suck bro um because he has such a rabid fan base and i remember like all these people were like oh man army of the dead news x army it's, it's gonna be awesome and honestly i remember watching thing and like okay if he goes back to like dawn of the dead aesthetic like here he could have something on him it could be a fun movie when I booted it up and I saw that fucking runtime, I thought, oh boy, okay, two and a half hours. You better fucking give me gold here. And he had me at that opening scene, and then like the um the title sequence was a lot of fun. I thought, okay, cool. We're on to something. But then he, after that title sequence, the film just to me nosedived completely. And I just sat there for the next two fucking hours hating this fucking movie. I didn't care about the characters. I didn't care about what the fuck was anything that was happening with the plot. I thought the ideal he presented with the zombie and the hierarchy was actually pretty cool, but there was no rules established. There was, even after maybe all this shit he was on, saying like, maybe it's a time loop. Maybe there's robots. And I was like, none of that was established in the movie. So it just felt like he was just throwing shit in there. That seemed cool to the point. And then to the point was like, I don't give a shit, man. And then like to sit there and like, what is it? Like there was one character that also had pronounces her love out of the fucking blue to be Batista and then promptly gets killed. Like, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I, this movie was just a slog to sit through. And I think I hated it more because after I saw it, so many people came to me like, dude, did you see what movie you did? Yeah. What do you think? I didn't like it. Really? You? I thought you really liked that. It was so much fun. I was like, well, I fucking hate it. So, yeah, number five for me. I'm really dead. Would you like to rant about Zack Snyder now, my friend? I think I've ranted enough. Um, yeah, 2021 saw me rant about Zack Snyder quite often to the point where I I had to kind of sit back and be like, okay, <laughs> maybe if I just don't look at him, he'll go away. And what does he do? Fucking spinoff prequel. <laughs> Army of Thieves. That we went out of our way to not watch because we this movie pissed us off so much. Uh, and yeah, I it didn't make my top five, but that's only because I saw stuff that was substantially worse. And I also just didn't want to fucking talk about him again. But I knew you were I, I figured you might have that. So I knew it was going to was going to come up. Uh, but yeah, Army of the Dead was way too long, disappointing, uh, poorly written and just another hack movie that this guy keeps getting green lit to make. I, like you said, he's got a rabid fan base that is so weirdly loyal, but for no real reason, like they, they've got nothing to show for it. You know, it's like a, it's like a toxic relationship. Yeah. And it's so weird because they weren't there when he was making films that we liked, like he, they weren't there for 300. They weren't there for, actually they were very much not there for Watchmen because they weren't shit on that movie. I thought it was a good fucking movie. Um, and they weren't there for his on dead remake. But then when he did DC, it's like all of a sudden that's what people were like latching on to. It's like, oh, Zack Snyder's DC. 
And, like, for me, like, Man of Steel reeked of someone trying to impress Christopher Nolan. And when I saw behind scenes on that movie, that's exactly what it fucking was. I was like, I don't give a shit about your movie now. Like, I actually like your Man of Steel less because you were not really trying to make a Superman film. You were just trying to fucking jerk off Nolan. Like, wow, dude. And then Batman v Superman is also too fucking long. It takes way too long to get to the to the fucking story, like the fight we want to see, and then there's the whole mock the bullshit that's been meaning to death. I'm not going to really touch that any longer. Um, and then Justice League, like again, glad he was able to come back and like in certain terms of why he left and he got to complete his vision. But me personally, man, like I didn't need a four hour Justice League. It just felt like the biggest like jerk off session to me. I was like, this is so fucking like I don't need this. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, the Snyder Cut is the longest film I will probably ever watch. I mean, that was... Whew, I, I liked it personally, but as I've often stated on this show, my experience with that film is tainted by a good experience with my father. So, did not make my top 10, even though I did like it. So, don't expect any Snyder Cut love going forward. Uh, I think that's enough for Zack Snyder and Army of the Dead. Uh, my number five... At least, put, at least I put it at five, so it's out of the way. Yes, it's gone. And we don't have to talk about him. Yeah, everything else below it, I, I hate it significantly more. So, <laughs> My number five is something I was looking forward to because um, so far, you know, the Russo brothers have really shown their uh, ability to manage a big project with Infinity War and Endgame both being phenomenal. And also Tom Holland has shown his, like, you know, strengths as an actor by playing Spider-Man. You combine them both into a drug war coming of age heist drama and you've got a complete disaster number five cherry uh apple tv plus it was one of their big ones last year uh those who did watch it fucking hated it because this movie is like six different movies crammed into two and a half hours and none of them connect uh tom holland is this kid who they call i don't think he's ever got a name cherry is like a nickname i think i don't i don't even remember and um, he is a um, he falls in love with this girl. She breaks up with him to go to college. He, in a fit of despair, joins the army. And then the next day she's like, hey, I decided not to go. I love you so much. And he's like, but I joined the army. <laughs> and now his life is completely fucked. He goes to the army. He gets involved in some shit, gets PTSD, comes back, is all fucked up. He gets on drugs and he and his girlfriend, now heroin addicts, decide to start robbing banks. This is all one movie. <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's two and a half hours. The characters are so over the top. It's disjointed. It's boring. And it's it's just a complete misfire. And I hope the Russos can do better because we've seen them do better. So I don't know what happened here. But number five, Cherry. I haven't seen this yet. Um, not because I've avoided it. You know, it's reception what I've heard hasn't helped. I just don't have Apple TV Plus because I'm like, I've literally gotten to a point where I'm like, I am not subscribing to any more fucking subscriptions. Like, I think like Boys Guys seeing his partner to do like Screenbox, which is now a horror streaming site. I'm like, nope, I got, I got Shutter. I'm fine. I'm done spending money on streaming services. I got Apple specifically for this show and I used it maybe twice. Their output is so fucking light. It really, I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> uh, but five bucks a month, what's five bucks a month? I mean, I don't care at this point. I want to watch Macbeth, so I'm going to keep it for at least the next month. 
Oh. What's your four? All right. My number four is the third fucking attempts at doing this franchise. And I don't know how they mess it up. There's a whole goddamn set of toys and a cartoon from the 80s you can use, use for God's sakes. But instead, they opt not to, apparently. And then they say, let's take the most silent, famous character and make him talk and make a really shitty movie in the process. And that's number four, Snake Eyes. Here, here's the four title. Snake Eyes, H.E.I. Joe Origin. Story. I think they, I can't remember if it's starting up, but... I think it was just G.I. Joe Origins. There you go. G.I. Joe Origins. Ooh. Um, first off, it does not deliver on that part of the subtitle in case anyone is wondering. Get no G.I. Joe Origins. Um, but everything on this film is a complete fucking misfire. I, I know a lot of people are bitching because I know I just made the comment like, you take a silent character and you made him talk. They could have pulled that off. They really, really could have. I think there is an absolute way to pull that off. But not the actor they picked. His accent was slipping. And usually, like, I'm not one. And I really am. Like, people are always pointing, like, their accent slips. I'm like, I didn't notice. I noticed in this one. So, like, something I usually don't, I fucking know. I'm like, nope, he's not talking American right now. No, he's talking British right now. What the fuck? Like, like he could not hold it. It was annoying. Um, they, they completely dropped the ball on his and um, Storm, Storm Shadow's rivalry. That shit's dropped. They attempt to make Snake Eyes a like double, triple, quadruple agent. Like he's actually working with the Yakuza, and like it's so weird. And like to me, that felt like why would you go that route with Snake Eyes? Like he's one of the most like notoriously like good loyal members of the squad. I don't know why that was out. And then the last like the other main thing they really fucked up on that should have been a saving grace. And it really bugs me because we live in a fucking post-strong record for God, Christ's sakes, people. Um, the martial arts, Snake Eyes is very well known for that in the cartoon, in the comics that they have done. Like, he is known for that. That's, that's Snake Eyes. So if you're going to do this movie, you better fucking deliver on the martial arts. Dear God, do they not. It is like, take like the raid size, raid two size fights. Except take away all the really good editing. <laughs> and obviously the R-rated violence that goes with it. And you got Snake Eyes. Like, it just, they just shake the camera and they fucking edit around. Because you can, like, they're clearly weren't trained well enough, in my opinion. Like, it was some of the worst fight scenes. And, well, I want to say one, some, some of the worst. There's another from one here. I'm going to talk about that. I also had some pretty bad fight scenes. Um, but yeah, this film was just a complete, total misfire, and I hated every second watching it. The only, the only saving grace for me was small reading. That's only mainly because I have a huge crush on her. So, Snake Eyes. Oh boy. Um, I've never been that big a GI Joe fan to begin with, and I really only saw this movie because at the time I was a all or nothing. I was taking an all or nothing approach to this show and army of the dead, at least was at Netflix. I could, you know, just watch that at home. I had to go pay for snake eyes and what a fucking disappointment. I'm mean, everything you said was true. The slipping accent, the terrible fight scenes, the nonsensical plot, the flip flopping, all of it was ridiculous because they, they had like nothing to mind. They just made it up on the fly. And I, the thing the is they th- do have something to mind. 
That's that's true. They got I guess the toys had backstories. The the cartoon and also Marvel did a whole bunch of comic runs on GI Joe. So there actually is like establishing oh. some comics background on these characters. So it's there. That's even worse then. Um, yeah, uh, Samara weaving. I get it, but Rachel Nichols in the Rise of Cobra. That's all I got to say. Um, I did. I'm just saying I have a crush on her, so it was like the only saving grace. And I felt she was severely underutilized in the movie anyway. Like the whole G.I. Joe and Cobra were like totally shoved into this thing just to have it be a G.I. Joe movie. Uh, Storm Shadow, like, I get it. I would want to kill this guy too. I mean, he, he shows up, he completely destroys everything that you stand for, and then you are exiled? <laughs> yeah, like, again, you're supposed to make, Snake Eyes supposed to be the good guy. Like, that's the thing. Snake Eyes is a good guy. Essentially, Snake Eyes is the bad guy. That's where they always, like, came to conflict. But they somehow, like, reverse the living shit out of that in this movie. God, yeah, that was horrendous. Uh, Snake Eyes. And then also he he becomes fucking snake eyes in the last 30 seconds of the movie. <laughs> oh god, yeah. Let down, totally get why it's on yours. It did not make mine, but it could have. Yeah. I hate sitting through this movie. It was a <sighs> uh, number four. Uh I knew it was gonna suck going in. But like I said, all or nothing. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I've never big, been the biggest Mark Wahlberg fan. I've been very vocal about that on one of these shows. I don't remember which one I had the big Mark Wahlberg rant. It was probably this one. Uh, I like some of his movies, all right? I like his movies, but him, I, I don't like. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. I was like, I like his movies. No, you're, yeah, that's fair. Fair point. Yeah. Uh, Infinite <laughs> on Paramount Plus, a blatant Highlander re- remake that w- refused to admit it. Uh, Paramount Plus's latest attempt at trying to make people pay attention. Uh, if this is the quality of film they got going forward, they can fuck right off because this movie was absolutely the stupidest thing I watched this year. Um, I don't even remember the story. It was like there's certain groups of immortals, like the good ones and the bad ones, and the bad ones just want to die. But if they die, they kill the entire world for some reason. And Mock Wahlberg is like the latest reincarnation of this like super warrior who's supposed to save the world every generation. And they have to reawaken his memories so he can, you know, fight the super bad guy. I, I this it was ridiculous. It was based on a book that like the guy had to blackmail somebody into publishing or something like that. There was some weird story behind how this movie got into Paramount's hands. And it's uh they were ad- they're still advertising the shit out of it because they've got no they've got like no other movie to, to promote except for paranormal activity, which people have already given up on. So this is just one of the biggest obvious disasters this year and a movie I probably shouldn't have watched anyway, but I did, and now it's in here. So number four, infinite. Yeah, you know what's fine about Paramount Plus? Uh their TV output's great. I've watched a lot of their shows on there and they have solid shows. Yeah, I won't argue that for sure. Yeah, like so their TV output's outstanding. It's their movie output that's hit and miss. Um, I know, I know you haven't seen it, but I do recommend Reno 911, The Hunt for QAnon. Yeah. That was like legit pretty good. Um 
So like they get it's their movies, their movies very hit and miss. Like they have the occasional one like Rio Nine One, but for the most part, it's like going on activity next to Ken, which like I said, no one, people are pretty done with that franchise. It seems it unlike Saw, it doesn't really seem to have a chance to come back. Um, but even then, like from someone like myself, he was like, you know what, let's see, let's give it a shot. You know, these franchises always have a way of coming back anyway. So I'll I'll be open minded about going in and even I walked away going, yeah, no, that was bad. That was really, really bad. Um, I remember you, I haven't seen this yet, but I do, and a lot of it is because, <coughs> because of you, because I know how much you hated this film. Like, I'm surprised it's even that high up on your top fives, because you have sounded like you have a personal vendetta against this movie you hated so much. I remember it was the episode uh, that Austin and Brianna uh, did with me on Sneak Preview, where we did In the Heights, I think it was, and Infinite was one of the ones I had watched additionally. And I went off on that movie for quite a while. <laughs> so, yeah, I get it. Uh, the other three, though, pissed me off in a special way. So one of which, actually two of which I think you might have to as well. So possibly let's, let's see where this goes. What do you got? I'll say this. So this minor one did piss me off in a special way. And you know it. Um, for my number three, though, this is a film that I... I I don't think I've ever felt more trolled by a director than when I went to go see this after the high I was on of like, oh, he's back. He's making oh. movies. That would be M. Night Shyamalan's old. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. M. Night Shyamalan's old. Wow. Um, like I said, I was really on board starting with The Visit. I was like, okay, okay, Shyamalan, you're making good films again and then like everyone else i love split i liked glass i know there's a lot of people that don't like it and it does have its issues i'll admit it but i liked it and when i saw after this i was like okay you have me like you, you've been doing good let's do this i remember sitting in the theater and the audience was so clearly disinterested it is filled with all the Shyamalanisms of his mid-career movies, but like dialed up to eleven, like horrendous line delivery, horrendous dialogue. The Asian character, like dear God, I don't know why he was yelling constantly, but I swear to God, he was yelling every single line that came out of his mouth. The rapper had the one of the worst rap names I think I've heard in my life. I think it was like Ice, not Ice Cube. That's an actual good rapper. <laughs> It was something stupid. Mid, was it like Minivan or something like that? I, it, mid-sized sedan. That's what mid-sized, it was. There we go. Yeah, it was so stupid. I'm like, okay, so Shamalan clearly doesn't listen to rap because I don't think any self-respecting rapper is picking that for their name. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. It, it had that, it had the weirdest like camera movements. Like, I'll never forget how like they'd be standing in a circle talking and the camera just would not stop moving. I mean, it was just to the point where I'm like, why, why, why? And then like, and I know I'm sorry, but like the way shit happens in this movie is so fucking weird and not in a good way. Where like you have children that have aged rapidly into teenagers, but they're mentally still children. They have sex, and that is like quick. First off, that's kind of gross. But then it's just like quickly. Like, just kind of, like, 
done and dealt with, and then they move on to the next thing before you even have time to grasp it. And it's not just asking, he does it constantly throughout the fucking movie where it's like something happens and then we quickly move on before we can really like soak it in and take it, right? Um, his twist, which if you don't think is going to happen, you clearly haven't watched enough Shyamalan, I would say is one of his worst twists, if not his worst fucking twist. Like it was a horrendous, lackluster, depressed, like just terrible twist. I hated it. The the only thing, the only minute thing I can take from this film is when Abby Lee horrifically uh, does that show her body because of her calcium deficiency. And you see it for like a brief second. That part was legitimately like creepy, but like I wish that one second I saw was the entire movie because what I got was hot garbage. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Number three is old for me as well. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I agree with everything you said. I don't know who in Hollywood keeps giving him second, third, fourth, fifth chances. <laughs> It's ridiculous. At this point, you got to know this guy's not a sure bet. You got to know that. Um, and I, he's a shit writer. He, I don't think he's ever had a real conversation in his life. He doesn't know how people talk. No, the way people were introducing themselves. Hello, I'm John. I am a doctor. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that info. Uh, yeah. I, can um, swim. I used to be a swimmer in high school. All right. The worst was when the guy would be like, you know, they were like, what's going on? He's like, I think that our skin, like our skin is aging every like, like 10 years a minute because of this and that and this and science. I couldn't possibly know. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Where are you pulling these facts out of your ass? <laughs> like, there's no way you could possibly know what's going on right now. <laughs> uh, I'm determined Shamal does not know what a real human interaction is. I, yeah, I've, I've watched a good chunk of his movies now, but even in his good stuff, people talk weird. People don't talk the way human beings react or um, interact with each other. It's very strange. And this movie has no payoff. Uh, it's There's some pharmaceutical bullshit that just is thrown at the end to try to make some sense out of this. Uh, it was, yeah, I I was so let down and I gave up. I'm, I'm giving up on M. Night Shyamalan. My, yeah, I'm going to either not watch his movies or go in with incredibly low expectations. And yeah, I'm sure I'm, as shit not seeing him at the movies. Yeah, I'm done. Like, it's, you know, like I said, man, like to sit there and give us, like, for me, I know, I know you said you kind of had your issues with the visit. Um, but like for me, like coming off like three films where I went, okay, it seems like he's finally back. We just had like some fluke years. I was like, cool. And then he just turns around and does everything he is so mocked and ridiculed for, but dials it up to 10. And this movie, I was just like, God damn it, Shyamalan. I'm not, you, you've lost your chance for me. You, you clearly, like, clearly those three films were flukes, like, which is weird that your good films are flukes, but your bad films are apparently what you're the best at. It, it wouldn't bother me so much if it, if, if it wasn't the fucking arrogance. Like, he is so sure that every film he makes is a masterpiece especially old. I remember the, the pre thing where he's like, thank you so much for coming to see my work. Like this is, this is what's going to change the future of film. And we're like, no, you're done. Like there's, you're not changing shit. Like go away, go away. M night. Yeah. We're, we're done. We're done with you. Get out of here. To retain the moniker of the next Spielberg, you have to make a lot more good movies. Yeah. What if, what has he got Four 
And that's being generous. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, fuck him. I'm over him. I hope the rest of every, I hope everyone else is too, so he can stop getting funding because it's time. It's no, time to retire. M night. He has another film getting ready to come out. I think it's late 2023. What? Who is who is this mysterious benefactor? There's got to be. I wouldn't want to be the guy publicly giving him money. <laughs> There's got to be some shell company somewhere that's like just funding his work. I don't know. Ugh. <laughs> well, what's your number two? Uh, my number two harkens back to what I said about films with terrible action scenes. Um, and it's probably the most recent one on my list because I really watched this past weekend. So we talked about very fresh, but we're going to talk about some more now. And that is the sequel no one wanted, The Matrix Resurrections. I I know we just recently talked about, my God, fuck. Like, seriously, like, fuck this movie. Um, <laughs> like, terribly written because it, like, mostly relies on the first three films and then, like, maybe 10% of a new movie. Um. It like it oddly takes away the whole aesthetic, like the green tint, like everything about Matrix is gone. And like as someone who kind of had his my issues with the philosophizing stuff and like the sequels, I oddly missed it in this one because like nothing, no qualities, no trademarks of the Matrix were present. So it's just like, all right, give me something to make me know I'm watching a Matrix movie, or than like Keanu Reeves acting like he did in the first one, which was he's mildly, you know, reacting to everything. Um, the fact that you did not apparently like I don't know who said no I think you said Hugo Reaving said no well first one apparently they should never talk to but to not bring those actors back and then to turn around and try to fucking replicate it fuck off I like Yaha Abdul Mateen the second I actually I like a lot of stuff he does did not like him this this I thought he was fucking terrible and I hated like the scene when like Neo walks to the fucking theater because they're playing the goddamn opening from the first movie, and he's just sitting there and I'm like, stop fucking doing this. Um, and then same with them. Um, I think it was Jonathan Groff, I believe he played Agent Smith this time around. Anytime he like was saying the lines, or when he yelled "Mr. Anderson," it didn't like have any effect like it did when Hugo Reaping does it. Like he just. There was a certain type of, there was a certain power, gravitas when Hugo Reaving did it that just was gone here because it didn't feel like a performance. It felt like he was trying to replicate and it just did not work. Um, also, the, taking a film that's so goddamn serious, because let's just be honest, the first three films are some of the most serious fucking films to watch in your life. And then trying to also on the fourth one add these meta jokes like, ha ha ha, we shouldn't be making this movie, but we did. Just no, fuck off. Like, this is not a series for meta jokes. This is not Deadpool. You can do a fuck yourself. This isn't even a screen film, for Christ's sakes. I can get away with it. Like, just no. Um, and then, like I said, the faction, man, like, this franchise is known. It's at the first one, especially for changing action in American cinema. And this was some of the most lackluster action known to man. Like, holy fuck. Um, I can see why I think it was a Lily that opted to not do this film. I can see why she. I'm sure she had. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the quality of the, like the script she saw. But I can. I'm just saying. Like I'm glad she decided to be like, nope, I'm not doing this. Um, because like I said, I'm not. I don't mean anything negative. I know a lot of artists will make a film out of grief as a way to express it. 
and it happens all the time, but they also make it in a way that's inviting for the audience to watch. And I just felt like with this one, Lana didn't really achieve that. She made a film to like work on her grief, but didn't give us any, a good reason to want to revisit this these characters, revisit this ward. So it, it like for me, there was an odd disconnect. Like I'm not really feeling a reason why I need to come back. Like I get why you made. I totally get why you made this film. I just I you're not you're not giving me any reason to want to go along the ride with you and maybe work out maybe some grief. I have. I don't know. Like. I am in 100% agreement. The Matrix Resurrections is also my number two. Wow, we're really knowing this. These were the two I was certain were going to be on your top five. I just didn't know they were going to be in the same spot as mine. So, yeah, this movie fucking sucked and was very expensive because movie ticket prices are a lot now. And I had a, I, I had a lot of faith in this. I could have watched this on HBO Max. I decided to see this on the big screen because I thought it deserved that kind of attention. And I was so pissed. Because this film is such a letdown and an unnecessary piece of garbage, I, 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 I think you know you brought up the uh, the green tint that the first three movies had when you're in the Matrix. I missed that more than anything. That really made me feel like I was in the Matrix. This time I didn't, and the whole like reboot joke bullshit. I didn't need that. Make a good movie. Stop. If you just throw in jokes that you made a bad movie and then you make a bad movie. You still made a bad movie. You don't get yeah. away with it because you joked about it. Yeah, where's the punchline? Yeah, us. We're the goddamn punchline. We saw it. <laughs> I mean, I saw it on HBO Max at least. So yeah, yeah. I. Oh, all right. Morpheus. I hate what they did to him. I hate what they did to Smith even more. They turned him into a metrosexual jackass, <laughs> and <laughs> it really bothered me. calling him Tom. No. So they completely gutted everything that made Smith so scary because he's fucking terrifying in the first movie. He's this invincible force of nature who can move at inhuman speeds and wants them all dead. Like and that is I, scary. Yeah. And even I can admit like he was one of the better parts of the sequels. Like Hugo Reaving was consistently one of the better parts of the sequels. Yeah. It's like this guy who was so in, like almost invincible in the first one has now been freed and can reshape the universe as to his liking. I'm in. Regardless of what the rest of the movie is, I'm invested in that story. This time, I was invested in fuck all. <laughs> There's nothing to tie the audience to the story. They completely fuck with uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's character, make her pretty irredeemable and heartless. Mm -hmm. uh, I just, yeah, I, I, I didn't like it. I didn't care for it. Every second of the movie, I was like, this could have been so much better. I think it's funny that the studio was banking on a fifth movie. They were going to try to convince uh, Lana Wachowski to do it, but the box office returns were so terrible, they said, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like they were begging for a fourth film. The Wachowskis like, were like, no, no, we're trying to do it. Lana finally decides to do it again to process her grief. The box office receipts come in, and then the studio turns around and goes, never mind, we don't need a fifth one. We should have, we should have never even brought it up. Sorry. Sorry. I think it's funny that we've seen Keanu Reeves really come back in a big way with the John Wick franchise and really put everything into those movies. And then he does this and it's like, I, you can tell the difference between like a good action scene and a bad action scene now, just by using him as kind of the, the, the uh, control group and good God. I mean, just the, like 
the bullet stopping and like the, the diverting air towards helicopters and the CGI corpses falling out of the building. I think it's crazy. I think I brought this up when we talked about when we talked about it a few weeks ago that the CGI in 1999 looks better than the CGI from last fucking month. Like what happened there? Uh, it's yeah. I, 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 I would love anybody who liked this to give me a good argument. Why? Yes. Especially if you try to say to my face, you thought it was well, well written, explain to me how you, lifting entire scenes of dialogue and scenes in general really if you want to talk about the fucking opening um from prior films and using that for your script like that's not good writing that's lazy and shitty writing and then you've got you know the rage against the machine you know piss cover band doing the doing wake up at the end of the movie could that have not could you have gotten a better metaphor yeah i mean God, and boy, look, I listened to the whole song, so I was like, I gotta hear this whole song. She did, when she got to the wake up part, she does not have the chops like Zach DeLorecha did. Like, you felt it when he yelled, wake up. Like, you were like, yeah, man, like, yeah. You could feel the rage against said machine. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. But yeah, I couldn't I couldn't feel shit when she did it. I was like, no, I'm not feeling it. Like, get Zach back, man. Let let him yell that. He'll show you a thing or two. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. The Matrix Resurrections, a shit way to end the year. I'm, I'm glad I watched the uh Lucille Ball movie just so I could finish 2021 with a good movie. <laughs> so yeah, fuck that movie. Um <laughs> I have a feeling I know what your number one is. Let's see if I'm right. You're probably right. I hope you're right. You know how much I really, really despise this movie going in. So this movie, I did not want going into it. But I said, I'll watch it with an open fucking mind. And it failed to do me anything. That's uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy. Knew it. Knew it. All right. Continue. uh, LeBron James, suck my dick. How's that sound? To sit there... (laughs) And think you can be better than Michael fucking Jordan and do a Space Jam sequel that, based off interviews leading into it and what I was hearing about how like we got rid of this character because we just don't condone uh, Pepe Le Pew and what he was doing because it's, it's a fucking cartoon. Um, and then like the director admitting, ad- fucking admitting, he had not seen the film, pri- the first film prior to getting the job to direct the new one. And that when he did finally watch it, he was just so obsessed with like Bugs, oh not Bugs, Lola Bunny being so sexualized because she was showing midriff and that he he was like, I'm real proud of what we did with her and how we were able to make her everything and not sexualize her. And I'm like, again, it's a cartoon. And the fact that you hung, you focused on that scares me that you focus on that as a grown man because, you know, hormonal teenager is one thing. You're trying to figure out your shit. But a grown man, I have questions for you, buddy. So don't try to fucking pass off hormone or teenage shit on your fucking creepy ass. Um, but uh, that did not, you know, blow for me. And then what I saw just, wow, it, it tried so fucking hard. And then, okay. Yeah, no, okay. Sorry. I, I, I so much I want to talk about this fucking movie. Um, 
they tried so hard to do the shared universe thing in a fucking Space Jam movie. That's not what I want. And I know the first Space Jam made references to our movies as those whole Pulp Fiction reference, for God's sakes, in it. But if you watch Looney Tunes, they did it all the fucking time in Looney Tunes since it was it first came out anyway. So that made sense. Not if W again, WB trying to be fucking meta. It's real that I don't think about Matrix, Matrix Resurrection, so also WB. Um, trying to get meta and have all these different universes they can go to, unless it's something real big like Harry Potter. Don't go there. Um, <laughs> but like all these universes, and they kept destroying all these characters and all this shit to the point that the Looney Tunes that are the, supposed to be the main fucking draw are sidelined. Like they're just kind of there. And it was like, why would you do that? And then you have the shitty use of like the animation choice they wanted to go with. Um, and then I, this is a, what I was going to say, but I'll say it now. You make a big deal about getting rid of Pepe Le Pew because the skunk tries to rape the female skunk. But you're okay putting in a very clearly fucking visible shot the Trugs from A Clockwork Orange who did rape. They didn't try. They did. It's the fucking middle point of the movie. It's literally the catalyst for everything that happens in the back half of the film. I I don't fucking sit there and try to virtue signal on a goddamn cartoon skunk and then put that shit in a kid's movie. Yeah, pick a lane. That and also, you know, throwing in all the Game of Thrones shit, another property loaded with rape. Yeah, like... And look, I'm not going to say Michael Jordan's like this great actor by any fucking like stretch of the imagination. But I'll watch him over LeBron because, wow, talk about even like less charisma when a camera's pointing at him. I fucking hated. And then like the whole and then he to me, he just came off like a dick. Like his son wanted to be a game maker. And not do sports. And he was disappointed. I'm like. That's a very like good paying job like why wouldn't you with all the money you have and what you've accomplished in your fucking lifetime encourage him to do what he loves because that's what you did that's why you're a big hotshot basketball player so to me that didn't come off like he just came off like a dick and i look i don't really like lebron james i think he's an asshole if i'm being completely honest um and this his his um portrayal of him as a father did not help I I would not have blamed that kid for going over to the side of um I think it was Don Cheadle. Yeah, Don Cheadle. Sorry, I have to yeah, I would have been fine with the kid going over to the side of Don Cheadle because he was a he's the only one that seemed to understand the assignment anyway. <laughs> yeah, Don Cheadle, you know, has been in some shit movies, but he himself has never been shit. He's he's good. Um I knew Space Jam 2 was gonna be your number one. Yeah, you for years, when they were announcing this, you were very much in the fuck that movie camp. <laughs> and yeah, turns out it's a camp a lot of people are, are staying in these days. Uh, this was such an odd film because the whole basketball thing was almost an afterthought. The whole movie is a constant sh- stream of references to better shit to try to distract you from the fact that you're watching a shit movie, which is funny. It's like, hey, you like Rick and Morty, right? There's Rick and Morty. Hey, you like Game of Thrones? Look, a dragon. You like Superman? There he is. It's like, but hey, yeah, I'm still fully people. aware I'm watching Space Jam 2. Thanks. Yeah. Remind you all the things you said. Does any of that scream fucking kid-friendly to you? 
that was, again, that's I, the weirdest thing. Like they really yeah. went for everything, regardless of content. But a skunk that is very French and constantly trying to seduce a cat—that's too much. Yeah, or the fact that you know, Lola Bunny showed a midriff was too much. I'm like, you guys have the weirdest priorities. I think it's just weird that anyone even thought to sexualize a cartoon rabbit in the first place, even in the first movie, like it got a little too far, but then like, dude, the fucking backlash when they like changed her character a little bit to be more, you know, of a cartoon for kids. People were like, how dare you? Like I jerk off to that rabbit two times a day. What are you doing? Yeah. Look, I'm not saying like there isn't like a weird set of fans. It's just like the way he kind of like said in the comment, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of like concerned that that's the only thing you're trying from the original film. Uh, remind me of that line from Jingle All the Way. Like, we're not doing this for us. We're doing it for the kids. <laughs> well, yeah. you know what I really loved? What really made me happy was like, I remember this film actually did pretty good its opening weekend. I was like, fuck, no, stop it. But apparently it was really just people taking their kids to be like, oh, let's see this new space gym, which I get, you know, I get. The, the situation was weird at that time. But then it's like, and so, you know, LeBron James was like, oh, like it's almost like you could tell he finally was like, in his head, like, oh, yeah, fuck you guys. All that hate you gave me. We're the most successful film this weekend. Like, ha, ha, ha. Like, he, you know, he he wasn't that rude, but he kind of, like, I know you did, like, a Twitter comment or something that was, like, along those lines. Or it was just like, yeah, see, no one believed in us, and, you know, we had a successful weekend. The thing is, everyone who saw that film and took their kids apparently told everyone not to go see that fucking film and just watch it on HBO Max or don't watch it at all because it dropped significantly that weekend and never made its money back ever. And LeBron James immediately shut the fuck up. It's <laughs> like, never mind. But I mean, look, this is a guy that for some weird reason thought that he would be the one to make a Friday 13th film with his production company as like he was completely clueless to who actually owns the fucking rights and the legal issue that just recently, as in like two, three days ago, officially got out of court. I'm like, are you really that delusional? And that up your fucking ass that you can't understand basic like legalities. Like you should know being a fucking basketball player anyway. Yeah, no love lost there. Uh <laughs> I don't I fuck fuck the bronze James. Suck my dick, LeBron. Damn. Um okay. Fuck space. space you. Don't watch this. Don't watch this goddamn movie. <laughs> space Jam 2. Um, (laughs) yeah i almost made my list but there was one movie that i hated so much this year because it was boring it was long and the build-up was intense i thought and that is reminiscence hugh jackman why did you do this (laughs) um if you've ever seen westworld Take the most complicated philosophical dream world bullshit of Westworld, combine it with fucking Chinatown, and you've got this heaping pile of movie. Uh, The plot is identical to Chinatown and Blade Runner and every noir movie. And it's just, it's like two hours and 15 minutes of watching Hugh Jackman, like, walk through this neo-noir city look into different dreams and try to figure something out i was so fucking checked out i remember barely anything about this movie it was 
just dull as dishwater. And I, I don't really have much else to say. It was so bad. It, it checked me out. I got nothing left. Uh, don't see it. Don't watch it. Reminiscence. Just watch Westworld. It's, it's the same people. And uh, it really made me appreciate Inception. Because <laughs> say what you want about that movie. At least somebody believed in it. <laughs> at least hey, look. the actors are trying. At least there's a story there. That's a known film I do like. I do like Inception. Yeah. Uh, so there it is. Our five worst of the year. Uh, let's go ahead and recap real quick before we get into the good stuff. Why don't you start? Five. Connor's favorite director of all time. Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Four. Snake Eyes. Three. Old. Two. The Matrix Resurrections. One. The biggest fuck this movie I've ever had in my life. Space Jam. A new... Legacy. I fucking hate that subtitle. Saying it out loud pisses me off. <laughs> Fuck your legs. We only need the original Legacy. Number five, Cherry. Number four, Infinite. Number three, Old. Number two, The Matrix Resurrections. And number one, Reminiscence. Uh, there it is. I wonder what our five worst of this year is going to look like. Um, find out next January. Now, Top 10 best films of 2021. There was a lot of good shit that came out this year. Let's talk about some of it. Why don't you start us off? Number 10. Uh, the, the event cage match of the year. The two biggest titans of cinema going at it. Godzilla versus Kong. Look, I, I'll say it again right off the top. For those of you who are bitching about the human characters movie, fuck right off. Like, I don't know what you're paying for, or at this point, planning to see. So I think it's, I don't know if it's still streaming on HBO Max anymore. Um, it is. It went back on. Okay. Yeah, I know it goes back on. I don't know if it was still on, though. But yeah. Um, if you're going into this with this title and you're like, I can't wait to get great human characters and just development, walk away now. This is not the movie for you. For those of us who are smart, like us on Filmgasm Productions, you all win this, knowing exactly what the fuck we wanted. This film fucking delivers. God damn, does it deliver. I think it was Adam, Adam Wingard, yes, the, he went to my um, college, directed The Living Hell. This movie gave us, to me, like the most satisfying fucking fight. Hey, it's amazing how in a year where like, you had Major Choice Reactions and um, Snake Guys deliver shitty fight scenes. Godzilla vs. Kong with CGI fucking monsters gave me some of the best fight scenes of the year. <laughs> Interesting how that happened, but yeah. Like, from the, the first one on the aircraft carriers and Kong jumping on different carriers, which, as someone who just came off a carrier, like, God bless those who are eating meals or trying to sleep that day. Um, mostly because they're dead, but also because you probably got quite the seasickness before you died. Um but from that one to the, the end climactic one to when they have to team up like this film just goes like it, you know it sets up just enough and then the moment it happens it doesn't let up and it's it's fucking awesome i loved every second of this movie yeah i remember that was one of the first sneak previews where we really went at that movie and we're just like gushing um i will have more to say on godzilla versus kong a little later i figured it was gonna be under your top 10 too so uh, my number 10 was a bit of a surprise. It was a Netflix movie in the middle of the year that was good. 
I know. Like you have better chances of catching a fucking Bigfoot these days. Um, well, not right now. It's, he's hiding because there's too much snow in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> You'd think he'd be easier to see in the snow. He's brown, but whatever. Yeah, anyway, but people have to be able to actually function in that in that in those states, and they don't know how to. It's almost like the twelve foot ape that they've been trying to find for like sixty years doesn't exist. Who knew? Anyway, um, the Mitchells versus the Machines. Uh, this movie was hilarious and uh, a, a welcome surprise. It's um, about this family of like, you know, this cute family. Uh, the main uh, character is about to go to college. She's got a weird family and she's trying to kind of distance herself from them. And dad can sense this and decides to drive her to college with the whole family. And she's like, no. And uh, along the way, Robots take over the world and they're the only ones who don't know about it. And they end up becoming the one family who can stop this. And it is really funny and really endearing and beautifully animated. And uh, one of the funniest movies of the year. I, I recommend it. That's my number 10. <coughs> I've been meaning to watch this one. I know. I think it's the, the Millers or Fro Lord and Christopher Miller. Yeah. It's those guys. I believe. Yeah, that directors and I, I just really love what they do. I think if I'm correct, they they their big break was Jump Street, the movie. Yeah, Jump Street, and then they did the Lego movie, and uh, okay, yeah, yeah they're, I, they're great. I yeah, I will say I've consistently liked their style. They just know how to deliver like really high energy, like jokes flying at you a mile a minute, and most of them actually stick. And I like what they do with animation a lot, where it'd be like the animation used for Lego movie, or I know they didn't direct it, but they produced it with uh, Into the Spider Verse. Like the animation for that was stunning. Um, yeah. And it carried over, from what I've heard, it carries over into this film. Like it's like that same manic, high energy jokes on a moment, like, but with like so much heart because they are very good with that. And um, just beautiful different types of animation. This has been one on my list to see. I really like those two guys a lot. Well, I really hope this has a chance at a best animated feature nom at the Oscars. Usually it's, you know, Disney, Pixar. And then a shit ton of like foreign movies. This time, I'm hoping this one lands a nomination because this was really good. It could even win. I'm, I'm going to call it. It's going to get nominated by Kansas No Wings because it's fucking Disney, and they buy it. They probably already bought their win in advance. Ouch! Just disrespect an entire show of ours. That's nice. <laughs> no, not your show. Just the Oscars itself. <sighs> I've yeah. done that before. You shut your mouth. <laughs> All right, what is your nine? My nine is a a video game adaptation, but not a big one like most people thought. One that no one really saw fucking coming and being as good as it was. We watched the director's uh, future debut actually for this because we were interested. Number eight is Werewolves. Sorry, nine. I fucked up my number. Nine is Werewolves Within. This movie... I, I personally really liked, uh, I think it was Scare Me, I believe was the title. Yeah. It was one, I really liked it. I really liked it. And I saw the potential of like a guy who is really good at delivering campfire story feeling with his movies. And that's exactly what he did here. He It felt like a campfire story, which I think is actually what the game is. Um, but like adding a really intriguing whodunit plot line to it. And like, what, I remember throughout several points, I was literally sitting on like, who the fuck is the role of like i couldn't figure it out like they did such a good job with it 
and you know he adds such great characters as someone like we both grew up in you know Blanco, a small town there was characters he was portraying i was like god i remember people like this in my town like fuck like he nailed it with the small town aesthetic and the people and there's just so many fucking funny moments this film just delivers it makes me sad that like it kind of got like a weird release because it mainly because of the pandemic but if you haven't seen it like seriously check it out like help this help this guy out i want to see i really do hope to continue to see more things from josh rubin i believe is his name um i hope to keep seeing more stuff from him because i have really enjoyed the, these two films he's done especially roles within yeah that movie was funny it was cute i uh i like good horror comedy when you can do a good balance of both it's it's a special moment uh the cast was really funny um the, the twist honestly was a, was a shock. I didn't expect that because um, it's it comes out of nowhere, but also makes total sense if you're paying attention, which is the perfect kind of twist. Uh, definitely a good watch. Yeah, surprising that it came out of video of, of a video game that nobody really cared about, which is like a basic, you know, find the werewolf game. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, that's why I said like it's a video game adaptation, but not like you know, like next year we get Uncharted coming out, right? Uh, HBO's doing the Last of Us TV show. Like you had like big hits coming out next sure. year, and you know, this, I think it was no, it was 2019. We had Sonic. We probably had some of this year. I'm forgetting, but you know, like there's like the big hitters are coming out, and then like this. And to me, this was probably like one of the best adaptations. Yeah, it's a solid movie. I think it was like the first or one of the first critically acclaimed video game movies, which does not happen. Yeah. It was it was one of the first. I think Sonic beat it because Sonic got a pretty good reception. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, that was cute. Um, my number nine is going back to Apple, uh, who really surprised me with this. Uh, Coda, uh, a drama about a family uh, that is all deaf except for their daughter, who has a love of music. And she really wants to go to music school, but that would mean leaving her family. And since she's the only one who can hear, that means they lose their job on a fishing boat. So she has to make a decision whether to stay with her family or go to music school and achieve her dream. And her family can't understand her love of music because they were born deaf. They don't understand music. And it's a very touching movie. Uh, For those of you who are curious, CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adult. Uh, And it was... It's a beautiful, touching movie, and I wish Apple would churn out more stuff like that because it was it was great. Yeah, I remember you praising this one highly, and I have seen a lot of good stuff talked about this one. Unlike most Apple uh, Plus, Max, whatever they call themselves, products. Sorry, I'm thinking about the South Park special with the <laughs> Applebee's. <laughs> Applebee's <laughs> needs Super Max Plus. Like, <laughs> um. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about this. Um, I, I don't have an Apple Plus account because, like I said, like I already said, I am just so done subscribing to things at this point. That I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm just gonna miss whatever they put out. I don't, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I figured, but I wanted to, I wanted this film to be represented here because it was really good, and I feel like it got kind of overshadowed by everything else which is a shame. So maybe come award season, it'll get some love. It did get some at the Globe nominations. Hopefully it gets some at the Oscars. That's good. All right. My number eight is one of 
many films that seem to get delayed multiple fucking times and we were dying to see it and sees has a very strong theme of family but not type of family we're kind of sick and tired of at this point um the other type of family we all enjoyed seeing um that would be ghostbusters afterlife at my number eight um i know you probably you thought f9 for a second didn't you had me for a second i'm like wait a minute he didn't like that (laughs) security there for a second um speaking of i forgot to mention we should really talk about the rock stance because i read what he said that Instagram post yeah, we'll and, say all right. We'll say a bit about that after you after you're done here. Yeah, which I just have to say that post was beautiful. Fuck yeah, rock. Um, but no, this post was afterlife. I, you know, like you said, this was like I would say like like no time to die, right? Like it just kept getting delayed. Even I think before the pandemic, they were just delaying this film. And um, someone had finally like was sitting and staying. I was like, okay, fuck yeah, like let's do this. There's a lot of like I think I think I can speak on like pretty much like all of the film guys and productions because I know Josh was super excited, you're super excited. I'm assuming Austin was super excited for this film, but I don't know how much he's into Ghostbusters. Um ah, sure. Assume assume he is. It, I assume everybody's into Ghostbusters. Yeah, I'm gonna assume he is. So Austin, tell me if you're not later when you listen to this episode, but I'm assuming you are. Um, but this is pretty anticipated. Like you had Ivan, no. Yes, I keep fucking up with my brain rightmans. It was Ivan that directed this movie, right? I've, Ivan's the dad. Jason is the kid. I keep doing that. I keep mixing it up. Jason Reitman, you know, taking the mantle from his dad, wanting to make a film that was a true Ghostbusters story, essentially. Like, the true Ghostbusters we've been waiting for that honored the legacy characters, but still brought the story forward. And to me, he nailed it completely. This was a film that really found a cool way to bring in this new cast and make them likable. I really did like the children on this movie. Like they were very likable to me, especially um, the one playing um, the the main character, essentially the Spangler's granddaughter. Um, She was astounding and perfect. Loved her so much. And her buddy was (laughs) podcast was fucking hilarious in my opinion. Um, so like they were just so entertaining to watch and a lot of a lot of fun i i would i would gladly follow them into a future film if that is if that happens um but at the same time what he did with the legacy characters was just beautiful to me um i think it's safe to say i know i can speak on me and my josh but i'm sure he did the same thing there were tears at the end what what he opted to do with spangler with harry ramus in light of, you know, the passing and, you know, the bad blood that happened between him and Bill Murray. And luckily I know they had made up right before he passed away, but how he utilized all that for that finale and honoring Joe Ramos was just nothing short of beautiful. And for a longtime fan that, you know, I want to say like, you know, someone that was a kid that saw that first film and now adults saying this, I'm sure it was just a beautiful moment for them and just so satisfying what they did so yeah i i really enjoyed the hell of this film i know some people were like sounds funny paul Rudd wasn't as funny like stop being so fucking nitpicky like this was a good movie this was a really good movie if you're a ghostbusters fan that was like really defeated by the 2016 reboot this just is miles above it i am so i was so glad to see that like it had legs and was making money like three four five fucking weeks after it released like fuck yeah 
give this movie all the money you want so we can get this this fucking side of characters this universe of it continued if they so if they so choose to do that yeah i agree uh really pissed me off when people were when they announced the ghostbusters box set and people and some people were like well where's the 2016 movie like where's that why aren't why is that represented well a couple of reasons one it's not canon in that story and two it's a piece of shit so move on let it let it die stop bringing it up I just wanted to say that I will have more to say on Ghostbusters Afterlife a bit later. No, I don't. I don't blame you, and I'm, I'm. I'm honestly really eyeing that set. Like I already on the first two, but goddamn, with that set offers, I'm like, oh, I want it. I don't have great versions of the first two, so I have no problem picking up that set. It's a beautiful set. Yeah, my Ghostbusters Blu-ray case is a little broken. It doesn't close all the way. That's all the reason I need to get this box set. Fair enough. <laughs> it, it is. Um, if I don't it get it, I'm gonna pick up. If, if I don't get set, I'll pick up the 4K of Afterlife. But I, I really want that set. I me too. Um, so yeah. Before we continue, um, Dwayne Johnson definitively said "fuck off" to Vin Diesel for F10. He told him to stop manipulating people's thoughts using Paul Walker's death and his kids, and said that this is fucked up and he's not coming back. So yeah. good for Dwayne. Yeah. Oh yeah, went for Dwayne. I look. I just love how he heard it. What he was just like, and he even said he's like, we talked privately about this. He's like, I called him. We talked privately about how I'm not coming back. I'm done. It's like I've talked to the studio privately. They understand the situation. He's like, I did not appreciate what he did on that Instagram post. He's like, that's. He even said he's like, that's a form of him being manipulative. That's part of his manipulation. He's like, and how essentially it was like he almost said like, how dare you bring up your kids and Paul Walker's death, leave them out of it. Yeah. You can tell he was pissed. I I do love though that he is still planning a, a Hobbs and Shaw too. Yeah. Like yeah. that's still he, happening. Yeah, he's like, fuck that franchise. I'll just keep working with Statham. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that yeah, Vin didn't win this one. Yeah. And like like I said, like it's it's funny because like I give him credit for being so professional, but you could, like I said, you could tell he was fucking furious. It seemed, but the way he was around, I was like this, that pissed him off. Um, the Rock is like, you know, what six three, six four, maybe taller, like four hundred pounds of pure fucking Samoan muscle. I wouldn't want to piss that guy off in any capacity. No. <laughs> and like I said, you know, back in his whole like, you know, when he made that comment, he pushed The Rock to get performance. I'm like, dude, man. Vin Diesel, like, The Rock does not need you for his success. Like, Batman just getting attached to a movie draws audiences in. Vin Diesel has never like, influenced anyone's acting ability ever. Like, what cloud is he sitting on? I mean, Jesus Christ, the ego on that man, like, could capsize a fucking yacht. Yeah, I mean, think about it like this. How many times has Disney tried to recapture Pirates of the Caribbean? And the movie has felt, but then they finally do the one with The Rock and Emily Blunt, and it was a success. And it's yeah. getting a sequel. There is no shelf life on this franchise, Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Glad we got that out of the way. It needed to be said. Um, number eight, I think it's my eight. Yes, your eight. It's mine was Ghostbusters Afterlife. Cool, cool, cool. My number eight, a film that defied all expectations, and I was very happy it did. The trailer, very misleading, but in a good way. 
This is not a John Wick style action flick by way of Nicolas Cage. This is a poignant drama about grief. It is Pig. It's almost made my list, but I opted for a stuff, but go on. This is the only time in the <coughs> short history of this podcast that I convinced you mid-episode that what you thought wasn't a great movie actually was. And I'm very proud of that. It was after I had a really deep take to for like one of the few times I got like really deep and philosophical for once. And so just being like, yeah, fuck this movie. (laughs) This movie shows that Nicolas Cage has never left us. He's just been, you know, stuck on a different level of shitty scripts for a while. But now that he's getting to be choosy again, he's picking very interesting stuff. And Pig is such a unique film. I've never seen a revenge movie like this. Uh, Cage is a disgraced chef who lives in the woods with his prized truffle pig. And one day this pig is captured and he demands answers. And he find, you know, finds his way through the, un- the seedy underground of Seattle's fine dining scene, which ignore that. <laughs> but... He ends up finding out what happened to his pig and he takes a very interesting kill them with kindness approach and like, you know, teaches people about how little time we have on this earth and how we get so little time to care about something. And it's a very interesting approach to life. And uh, the ending when with uh, Adam Arkin and the, the, the first date meal or the anniversary meal, God, that, that really got to me. (laughs) That was so beautiful. Uh, this was not at all what I expected, and I was very pleased with what it ended up being. And I hope more people see this so they understand exactly what kind of actor Nicolas Cage is and always has been. I must say, it's always been there. People choose to say he's a shitty actor because of the film quality. You know, pay attention. Like, those one, I won't say his name, but I remember he was like, oh, I want to be an actor. So he was back on my boat. And, um, but then he's like, I just, I remember he wanted to be an actor so bad, but then he would make some dumb comment like, Oh, I think this cage is one of the worst actors. I'm like, you want to be an actor, but you 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 fail to truly study it. And um, I say that because like if you pay attention to any shitty films, he gives good performances. He is giving his 110% in every fucking film he does, regardless of the quality. Yeah. So he is a good actor. And to lump it with like, well, he was in bad movies, so he was a shitty no, he picked bad movies. He had to pay off like debt he was in. Yeah. He was always and um, yeah, like you said, like I would, you know, he's been on a real streak. I think since like Mom and Dad's maybe a movie or two before that, that I'm not remembering. Oh, Joe. Okay, I would say since Joe. Um, well, he's been selective again, and he's been especially with genre stuff, and he's been picking some really wild out there stuff that just works. And it's really I, my personal favorite out of this bunch that he's been with his friends haunts, in my opinion, is still Mandy. I fucking adore that movie. Mm. But. This is this was yeah. It, at first, I remember just saying like, oh, okay, but then like as I really ruminated on this film, it just it really hit me how much I liked it. Yeah, and I think to me, my favorite scene like it is that scene you're talking about. Like that was a beautiful scene. But to me, it's when he goes to his restaurant and he gets makes the chef come out. And he has that talk because it feels like he's. It's almost like a to me, it felt like a metaphor for his acting for his career and how people have viewed him. When he says like these people, they don't care about you. So you have to do what makes you happy. And it's like, you kind of hit like, is he talking? It's like a metaphor for his own career. And him, where he's at now, where he's like, you know, I'm picking stuff that makes me happy. And he even had made the comment prior to this film that he doesn't want to do mainstream Hollywood again. He wants to keep doing indie stuff. 
because he has that freedom. So it it felt like him giving it his own film that was a metaphor for his career. Yeah, and none of us expected that, which is great. Like we went in there thinking, oh, it's you know Nick Cage going to go and go ape shit on these guys for stealing his pick. Great, I'll you know this will kill time for an hour. But no, it was a very deep movie that I really haven't stopped thinking about. It's it's beautiful, and I hope. You know, going forward, Cage gets back the respect he once had in Hollywood. You know, Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage was once the toast of Hollywood. He was at the top of the A-list. As far as I'm concerned, he never fucking left. This man deserves our respect. He's He has been to the bottom. He's, he's fucking crawled his way back up. And I, 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 I love the guy as a performer and as just a, you know, he seems like a, a cool guy. Yeah, he, he might be a little strange, man. I don't know, but he's like I, I wouldn't want to. I couldn't hang with Nick Cage. I'll say that right now. But <laughs> if I ever meet him, I would love to just shake his hand and say thanks. Mm. Yeah, I, I would love to meet him in real life. He, yeah, and I've heard from a lot of. I have heard from a lot of people who have like worked with him that he is like he's very committed. That he, you know, and I was actually talking about Josh Bar the other day. Cause we're talking about like how cool Josh brought it up, like how cool it would be if like Nick Cage started producing movies. And then that's when, yeah, and that's when I kind of brought up, like, you know, that would be cool because think about what he's doing when he does these indie films for these directors that usually they don't have a lot of, like, you know, mainstream recognition. It might be their first film. I think in the case of Pig, it was probably, I don't know, I can't speak on the director's behalf on Pig. I don't know if it was his first film or, like, he's just a big-time indie guy, but he picks, like, these guys that don't have a huge, like, they're not Scorsese, they're not uh, Spielberg, right? But he goes to their movies with his clout that he has with his name attached and helps them out and gives them the same quality performance he would give to Scorsese or against Bobo or like someone like that. Like he's not hamming it up for these, he's not being a dick to these guys. He's helping them out by giving them a good performance and having his name attached to that. Like, and that gives them that boost that they need. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, the fall. I think that, you know, losing his mainstream success and having to slum it for so long showed him maybe the value of, you know, his career and how quickly it can all go away. So I think maybe he's kind of using his powers for good these days, which is, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Wonderful pig. Number eight. What's your seven? My seven is the MCU film that really got to me, got the year going. I'm not going to say of the year. Let's hold off on that statement. <laughs> I think I know we both have for our number one anyway. Um, but the one that made me go, okay, sweet. Phase four is here. Let's go. Summer uh, Seven, Shang-Chi, The Legend of the Ten Rings. I really, like, I really, really enjoyed the show, this film. Um, Marvel, hey, here again. Talking about action, right? They brought it on the martial arts scenes. Um, I know a lot of people bitch about like there's not really martial arts in that last third act, it becomes like kind of like a Marvel third act, an MCU third act, but hey, fuck off. It's a great third act. The action that part is so great from like the dragons fighting to like when he's doing the moves to defeat the evil dragon, like as he's in the air falling, like it's still great action. I'm sorry, it's yeah, you're right, it's not martial arts stuff, but guess what? This is a success enough. We're getting a sequel and a spinoff TV show. We got plenty more of it on the way. Um, so, th- yeah, this film just, oh, my God. Like, 
the action scenes. I'm I'm personally a big fan of Aquafina. I think she's hilarious. She was cracking me up throughout this movie. I loved that for once. I didn't realize how much breath of fresh air it felt. And so, like, I really thought about it, but, like, the fact that they weren't forced to be a fucking couple. They were just platonic goddamn friends. Was, oddly enough, a breath of fresh air. Um, I love how they were able to make this still very much an MCU film, but by being smart and cast and obviously doing their due diligence and getting a very Asian um, culture behind the camera and the director and the writer and stuff, it led to a very Asian influence that I thought worked really well with the MCU. Um, and then for me, another big thing was uh, Trevor Ben Kingsley, Trevor Slatery. Like, he took a plot point that I fucking despised from Iron Man 3. Like, I, a movie that I was actually pretty on board when I watched it, like, again a couple of years ago when I got, like, my Phase 2 set. And I was like, yeah, I'm actually kind of on board with this movie. And then I got to that twist. I was like, nope, this is why I went off board. I was like, everything before was great. And then that fucking twist. But this film totally, to me, redeemed his character, redeemed the fucking Mandarin and made him scary, made him terrifying and gave us like, um, I think it was Tony Loon, I believe, yeah, that played him. And he, to me, is one of the best fucking MCU villains ever because you're so sympathetic with his cause. You really are. You understand where he comes from completely. And um, one of my favorite scenes is actually when he is talking about taking back the Mandarin Tiger at the dinner scene when he gets them all back. And it's just like, you can see that while this guy does love his family and wants this, he's, he's a monster beneath all that. He's a terrifying monster that you do not want to cross. And yeah, I, great fucking film. I, I've seen it numerous times now, thanks to Disney Plus. So yeah, fucking seven, Shang-Chi. Yeah. Shang-Chi didn't quite make my top 10, but there were a lot of movies I liked that didn't make it. Um, yeah, this was badass. Uh, my favorite thing about the, the, the Mandarin, the new one, is the implication that he was Genghis fucking Khan. Like, history is, maybe history's greatest monster. And it was him. Like, that's just, oh my God. Uh, I love all the shit with Wong. Uh, the comedy was on point. The whole, like, I loved Aquafina's like fear reaction is to start singing Hotel California. Yeah. <laughs> like she's she's hilarious. Uh, and th- this new guy, uh, Simu Liu, who kind of came out of nowhere to be a superstar with this, is awesome. He's I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got next. Um, and yeah, I I loved how like original this one felt. Uh, all the characters were done really well. The backstory on the villain is perfect. It's the perfect blend of evil and tragic that you need to have. Like, I love a good tragic villain. And this guy, I mean, fuck. His whole motivation is I want my wife back. <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah. It's it's very, like, it, it works because it's such a human reaction. Like, who hasn't felt that in the loss of a love and that kind of grief and that kind of pain? Mm. You, if you're sitting there watching, you can relate to the fucking villain you know like you you kind of like well i get it like if that was my wife if that was my kids i would have the same feeling i want them back you yeah. know so you, you totally get it um and then obviously casting someone like tony Lin, who was like a hong kong martial arts superstar like fuck yeah and then the fact that the director recently said like he's he's gonna try to get jackie chan in the sequel <laughs> God. like 
Oh, yeah, give me Jackie Chan the MCU, man. Like, do what you can. Like, Fuck. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, I love, even in the end, like, when he realizes, we're spoiling it, but, you know, it's on you at this point. Um, when he, at the end, when they break open the door and he realizes that he's been tricked by this monster that is not his wife, there's this moment where he looks at Shang-Chi with this, like, I'm so sorry, look in his eyes and like pushes him out of the way, gives him the rings and, you know, takes his medicine. He gets killed by this monster. But in the end, he's like, you can you can stop this. You can save this world. Like it was it's a great moment. And yeah, I, I just I really like Shang-Chi. I think it's a great I'm looking forward to seeing him fight with the Avengers. Um, yeah, I'm glad you have this. <laughs> yeah, especially to me coming off of seeing Black Widow. Which to me, like I said, it's not a bad film by any means, but it's a fairly it's a fairly standard MCU film. And I again I know I've said it before it's ten years too late. So kind of coming off that and then seeing that, I'm like, this is what I'm talking about MCU. Grant, I had that same feeling multiplied times ten later on in the year. But like yeah. that's when I went like, okay, here we go. This is what's gonna get me excited for phase four. This is what I'm talking about. Like, and now that's this is no shade thrown to the TV shows. I enjoyed two shows before they came out, but like as far as like the way for that Marvel movie, like to me, that was like, yes, this is the face full film I wanted. Like, fuck yeah, Marvel. This is what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Uh, my number seven is another film this year that had a great deal of Asian influence and uh, representation and also sto- uh, co-starred Aquafina. And that is Disney's Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, this was awesome. This was Disney's epic action movie. And uh, I know a lot of people had problems with it. Frankly, I don't remember what they are because I ignored them. Uh, Just as dumb as those who wanted the human development better in God's Wisconsin. So, yeah. I mean, it's a Disney movie about a bunch of, it's an original story, which is great. You don't get a lot of those these days. And um, it's about this world that was once ruled by dragons who kept the peace and then when this darkness showed up the dragons were destroyed and locked away and this darkness was sealed away by the last dragon and all these different clans want a piece of this power and one of them fucks up and destroys it and the darkness comes back and this character Raya leads a bunch of unlikely heroes from these various lands to find a way to stop the darkness and bring and free the dragons and it's very funny and very exciting and very heartfelt and the ending made me cry and I thought it was fantastic. So I really hope uh, more people check this out. Is it on, it's on Disney plus. It was one of those $30 rentals that I refused to participate in. I saw it at the movies. <laughs> Disney kind of no, stopped fair. doing that in the second half of the year. Yeah, I think they, yeah, I thought it was dumb. That was a jackass ass on their part. Um, so I actually, I've seen parts of this film finally. Um, I've gone from not seeing any parts because uh, one day when Josh kids were here apparently they really liked the movie and they were like oh thank you you haven't seen it you should watch it and i was like okay so we put it on like a thing to watch right all all of us little family thing if you will i don't know how to best describe the situation but um put it on and i remember i it wasn't because i was hating the film. i was actually really into it i was like oh yeah this is really good i didn't realize how tired it was so like halfway through i just remember thinking like oh this is good and next thing i'm out I'm waking up, the phone's coming to, like, the end. And I'm like, oh, shit, I fell asleep. Fuck. 
So I've been meaning to go back and watch it the whole way through because what I saw was really, really, really good, and I was into it. I it was just a case of I was more tired than I thought. Yeah, I definitely go back and check it out. It's, and it's an awesome movie. Um, I think that best animated movie at the Oscars this year is going to be a fight between Raya and Encanto. So basically, Disney versus Disney. Uh, good luck. But yeah, as tradition, as is tradition, pretty much. But um, this was cool and a neat movie and also just really cool to have some, you know, some a- Asian representation in the Disney category that isn't just full of racist shit like Mulan. <laughs> Which I do love, but looking back, oh, like, there's, there's, some ba- there's some stuff in there that's questionable. <laughs> yes, but look, I stand by that cartoon. It's one of my more favorite Disney cartoons. I love it, too. Just... I think Raya was a little bit more honest about things. Well, anyway. obviously it was compared to Milan. I can, I see where you're coming from. Um, I do. I, I get it, but I, I will just because of, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I, I can watch Milan separate and just go, well, oh, that we were a little bit worse of people back then. Supposedly yeah. I should air quote that with what I see in the fucking news with people, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Moving on to number six. Um, so at this point, you're calling about like mostly horror kind of rings true at this point. Um, no, so number six will be one that I know is definitely not on your list in any way, shape, form. I saw it on Shutter when I was playing catch up on a bunch of shit they released, but this is probably one of the most fun fucking horror films I've ever seen with a concept that I actually was like really into, and that would be Vicious fun um so basically the like the plot is going to kind of get you into like the headspace here is like it's this kid that loves horror and is trying to get his like little horror magazine off the ground well he's also like super big into his roommate but he notices that she's with this other dude that he's never seen so he follows this dude to a bar to try to like interrogate him ends up having way too much to drink and passes out near the phone booth area wakes up to find out that he is now stuck inside a bar where serial killers are having their meeting and talking out their problems okay (laughs) yes and the serial killers are very much based off various horror movie stereotypes that we've seen before and um the person in charge of all this is david ketchner oh god (laughs) and what ends up happening is a fight for his life as a big time horror fan has to survive trapped in a building with all these different killers this this movie has the most insane like it's just an insane concept that works it is funny there's a whole scene with the you know the end of a police station with the cops and the, the cops are very much caricatures of like movie cops and like they're getting mad at because he insults their mustache like you can this is a mustache for cops like it's just like it's really funny what they do with it and it's it's gory it's just like this is probably one of the most fun horror films i've seen this entire year um just all the way through there's no one that has it's fun in the bonkers right i'll talk about later um but this is just like a really fun horror film and i i the way it ends i, I really do hope we get a sequel if not, I'm okay with this one one little film. Um, but if you have Shudder 
and you're looking for something a little different, check out Vicious Fun. It is. It was a, such a good fucking movie. That's that sounds awesome. I I I want to check this out. Maybe we'll do this on uh, Filmgasm this year sometime. It yeah. It it really is like the. That's why I was like, let me tell the console this fucking plot because it's yeah. And what I love is that it does not hold back. It goes full steam ahead with the plot, and it just goes through it. And it's so fucking funny because when he first does it, he actually tries to act like he's one of the killers. So when he realizes what's going on, so he has like this great awkward moment where they're like. He's going to try to fake his kills and stuff, like his story. <laughs> and, yeah, it, it's fucking the movie's going to, like I said, like if you pay attention, you know anything or two about horror, like you'll start catching like who the various guys in the room are being modeled after, like of actually, you know, like big name horror films. Like you, you start to like pick up on it. It, yeah, it's, it's fucking good. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Awesome. Uh, glad you have some shutter representation on your top 10 there. Um, my number six. Here's a question. How do you redeem one of the most reviled superhero movies of the 2010s while also feeling fresh and original and being dope as fuck? You hire James Gunn and you make the Suicide Squad. <laughs> Nice. What, like, if anybody should have the keys to the DC kingdom, it's him. I mean, the Suicide Squad is the best movie in the DCEU by a lot. This movie is so damn funny, so cool. Redeems uh, characters like, uh, what's it, Rick Flagg, who gets more of an arc in this movie than he did in, you know, the entirety of the first film. Uh, ignores all the bad shit, builds on the good shit, and gives us, like, he makes polka dot man interesting and fun. I mean, fucking peacemakers getting his own show. James Gunn is a magical screenwriter and director. Like the things he can do with the, the most like the stupidest and most like obscure characters, what he can do with those guys and make them heroes and make them like notable figures in pop culture for the first time ever. It's, it's magic. It's a superpower. And this movie is full of that. Uh, I yeah, this was one of the funniest movies of the year. The Suicide Squad was badass, so good. I really hope he gets to do more with DC. Uh, I really hope Peacemaker works out. I, I know it's going to be great. I just hope people watch it because uh, that's all that they need for this to work. Is people got to got to check it out. Uh, enough said. The Suicide Squad was fantastic. Yeah, um, I don't want to hold off my thoughts because we have overlap. So right on. I'll wait till I get to mine, but do you know I agree with everything you said? Um, so with that, my number five is another little little indie horror film that could. Um, and it's one that says, "Is it possible?" That asks the question: Is it possible to make an entertaining movie where Nicolas Cage doesn't say a word? The answer: Yes, it fucking is. That is Willie's Wonderland. The five, uh, not five, the five night at five nights at Freddy's movie that we finally got because the actual one is taking apparently way too long. Um, this movie, so I I watched this on like a whim one day because I was like I don't want to watch this. It's on Hulu. I don't fucking watch it. I had such a great time this movie. I was trepidatious with the fact that Nick Cage was. Talking. I was like, oh boy, you don't want him to talk. 
But again, talk about a pig. I'd apply it here. Like he shows again his fucking abilities as an actor in that he still delivered an entertaining, just mesmerizing performance by not saying a single fucking word, just using his body movements. And it was great. Um, I love, again, I know it's essentially five minutes phrase, but I do really like the concept. That's why I've been kind of waiting on the movie because I do generally like that concept. Um, again, gory. I love the gore. Dear God. <laughs> when these things kill, they fucking kill. Um, I just, I love the fight scenes when he was having to destroy these monsters. And I, I loved how his ultimate goal throughout the night was he really wanted to play pinball. And he would get so annoyed when he had to stop playing pinball to fight these monsters. It's this, yeah, look, I I know some people are probably going to get real turned off by this film, but I implore you to just fucking have a beer, have some snacks, get some friends, turn your goddamn brains off, and enjoy this movie. Because it's just a, it's a fun ride from beginning to end, in my opinion. I watched this uh, not knowing anything about it besides Nicolas Cage versus Chuck E. Cheese creatures. Um, I didn't know he didn't talk, but as the movie progressed, I'm like, okay, he's not going to talk. And I didn't mind because I was just so mesmerized by whatever the fuck this was supposed to be. Um, the constant like energy drinks, the pinball, the fact that he didn't seem to be concerned about any of this. They were just in his way. Like, who is this guy? And uh, shirts. Yeah. <laughs> it was very entertaining. And, you know, I it's one of those movies that uh, just makes you appreciate Cage's range. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you had this. Like, I'm, I kind of forgot about this one. This was an early earlier in the year movie. Yeah, I did not. I have the soundtrack on my phone. I was so in love with the music. <laughs> I really feel hard for this movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Awesome. Willie's Wonderland. Yeah. I remember when they announced this, I was like, what? Nicolas Cage versus animatronic haunted monsters. Yeah. All right. And then the more I watched Cage, the more I like got familiar with who he was as an actor. I'm like, yeah, he could probably make this work. <laughs> Doesn't sound that crazy anymore. <laughs> Uh, no, boy. it doesn't. He, he pulled it off. Yes, he did. He pulled it off a few times. Pulled it right off. Um, my number five. <laughs> my number five was a, another movie I um, I didn't expect to watch. It was another Netflix movie. Middle of the year. Uh, I watched it as an afterthought. It was the same week as Raya and the Last Dragon. That was a pretty good week. Uh I remember uh, I was doing a sneak preview with Austin and Brianna and it was back, you know, during the midst of COVID when people, you know, not everyone was comfortable going to the movies or, you know, and we had to kind of work out what we wanted to base the episode around and coming to America had come out. Don't worry. That's not the movie. <laughs> and, um, and we were going to do that. But at the last minute, uh, we all decided to change it to this film because this film all like very, it was a, uh, it resonated with us. Moxie from, from Netflix and Amy Poehler. Uh, a pretty, uh, I don't know if it's, it's a comedy, but it's also a pretty serious drama at times. It's a film about this uh, really fucked up high school 
in the Northeast where the football team is allowed to do whatever they want, especially harass and grope any woman they want. And none of the faculty do anything about it. And this one girl moves in and the uh, football team captain says some offensive shit to her. And she's like, the fuck's wrong with you? Why would you say something like that? Like she fights back and he's surprised. And he's like, oh, you're going to be difficult. And this causes this whole thing. And another girl overhears this and is uh, inspired to create a feminist club called Moxie that finally inspires the girls in this school to fight back and stand up against the toxic faculty and the football team. And it's a very good movie. It's very inspiring. It, it's very satisfying. It's got a killer soundtrack. And I was very surprised. Like this was such a great watch. I, I want this to be seen by everybody. It was awesome. I actually forgot about, I remember it was, I seen the episode title, but I forgot about this movie. I haven't thought about it all year. It's like, I, I forgot it existed in Mumbai. It's Netflix. And frankly, it's not really up your alley. I get it. But I, you know, it reminded me a lot of Mean Girls. Uh, no, no, not to, hmm? well, so I'm, I'm fully secure enough to admit I like Mean Girls. So. Yeah, Mean Girls is funny as hell. Comedy knows no gender, my friend. Um, but uh, Moxie's definitely a film worth watching. It's 2022, so. Yeah. Get yeah. woke, my no, friend. I mean, <laughs> shut the fuck <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I, I definitely won't mind checking it out. It's, it's just so, like, it's so weird with Netflix. It's, like, the main reason I haven't heard of it, other than, like, seeing, like, your episode talk for is that, it seems like after about say like a month or two of something being on Netflix, like it just disappears from the site. Like you never see it up there. So yes, there's, there's so much new content coming out that that shit overshadows it. So it's like, yeah, if I don't fucking pay attention. And in the case, I think when it came out, I think I was actually in like the middle of my deployment. So the time I got back, like that shit was not anywhere on like a top ten of Netflix. It was like buried under the fucking algorithm and everything else. Yeah. Well, how about this? I'll trust you for shutter releases. You trust me for Netflix releases. Fair enough. All right. Uh, but yeah, Moxie, good watch. Definitely one that shouldn't be forgotten. Uh, you're up next. Thanks, man. Uh, number four is a film that people were kind of demanding, honestly, at least the video game fan base was demanding for quite a while. <laughs> after six films of not what they wanted and yet it comes out and then uh no one goes to the fucking theater to watch it so go fuck yourself fan base um and that would be resident evil welcome to raccoon city the goddamn version of the film everyone wanted that loved the video games but they never went to go see wow fan base way to be loyal so we're not getting any more of this thank you for that um but what I saw, which off, was a fantastic film that finally showed you what happens when you get a fucking director and a writing team that actually care about the games and actually care about the characters and want to find a way to adapt it to movie, to the screen. And to me, they pulled it off. They did such a great balance of, one, first off, making it scary. It's a horror film, not an action film. It's horror off the bat. And the way they utilize a lot of the characters, I know some fans who did see it had issues with how some characters from the games were portrayed and stuff, but I like what they did in the sense that like a lot of it was very much like how you remember from the games and how you remember these characters and these monsters. 
with some stuff changed to add an element of surprise so it's not a carbon copy. And I like how they did that. I to me everything worked. I thought the monsters looked cool. I like how it was um to me in the games where everything just kind of was slowly going back throughout the day. You're seeing the de evolution of the town as the night progresses, something that the games are very big on. We kind of see like the, the de evolution as the game progresses. So that was very much there. Um seeing characters like Claire Redfield, Chris Redfield, um Leon, like all these fucking awesome characters on the big screen, like and actually being portrayed to me very accurately. Again, I know Leon was portrayed a lot differently, but I I personally liked what the movie did. I know some fans probably gonna get all pissy, but I liked it. Um, and even like how what I thought was going to be like a jumbled mess, taking the plot line from the first game and the plot line from the second game and meshing it into one movie, he pulled it off completely. Like it, it did not seem jumbled, it did not seem fucked up it seemed like a, a solid story um and i still stand by the scene i told you about or to me one of the best scenes of the year of the fucking year was chris redfield trying in through a horde of zombies and it's pitch black and the only thing you fucking see is the flash from his gun when he shoots that is it you see the flash you see a quick thing of fucking zombies in front of him and it just goes you just hear him you hear the zombies and it's a fucking intense tense tense scene and to me it should be like talked about more if the movie doesn't get talked about more because no one fucking saw it that scene should be talked about more because holy fuck talk about a tense goddamn scene i have been very vocal on this show about how few fucks i give about the resident evil franchise so i don't really have much to say here but i am glad that you enjoyed it Really think you should give at least this film a shot. Watched the first movie back in the day. I tried to play several of the games. I couldn't get into any of it, so I don't see why. I mean, you can just give the movie a shot. I'm not saying I play the games. Just the movie. Just watch this one movie. I don't know. This one movie I'm asking you to watch. God damn it. You asked me to watch quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, and until you do, and you satisfy me on watching them. We will see, but probably not. Uh, was that your four? Was that your four? Yes. My number four harkens back to one of your earlier ones, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, goddamn! I mean, this was the hype was real. I mean, this was you know kind of a make it or break it movie. This was going to determine like can the theater still sustain a blockbuster in these trying times. And turns out, yeah, quite well, because everyone wanted to see Godzilla fight that big monkey. And <laughs> the fights were satisfying. The I'm, I loved the, you know, the fucking Mecha Godzilla reveal was unbelievable. And then the team up of Kong and Godzilla fighting Mecha Godzilla. I mean, as a longtime Godzilla fan, how can how can you not be just freaking out? And it's it's fun. It was exciting. It was nice to turn my brain off for a while during the midst of this dark shit. And also it made money. It, it you know proved that the theaters could still pull this off. And a lot of movies, I think, you know, came out in 2021 because Godzilla versus Kong was a was a success. Uh yeah. So it was a good movie for the year and a really exciting film. And just you know, like you said, who gives a shit about the human characters? We're here to see 
Big lizard fight big monkey. If you're here for any other reason, you are in the wrong theater. Show yourself out. Yeah, go watch your trauma for your human like character development. Go watch that. Not Godzilla versus Kong. And you're clearly not paying such a fact that like, if you look at it like these are CGI characters, right? Our two tower characters. Yet they're expressive. You completely understand their motivations. And they're two CGI'd creatures. One is a big fucking lizard, and one's a big fucking monkey. And yet it's like if they were characters being portrayed by actual actors, I felt their emotions. I felt their their motivations throughout the movie. Like you got it just by how they were able to make, you know, animate their looks to each other and how they moved and stuff. So like it was there where it counted. Well, I also love that, you know, Mechagodzilla was created by hardwiring King Ghidorah's brain into a metal like body and it immediately woke up as Ghidorah and was like, I remember you and went after Godzilla. Like that was cool. <laughs> there were so many great moments in this movie. Oh, I mean, just like, yeah. you know, jumpstarting Kong's heart with like an electric like car plane thing. Okay, sure. Hollow Earth. Why not? I mean, I'm into this. Like I accepted yeah. so much crazy bullshit because this was so fun. <laughs> yeah and that's why like sometimes when people like want to make these pay comments i'm like can't look i like no film ultimately no film is perfect or very there's very few that i would consider perfect like very few yeah most films have flaws of some kind but guess what if you like it enough if it's fun enough stop fucking nitpicking turn your brain off and enjoy there's nothing wrong with that and in case of Godzilla versus common that's exactly what they were promising you in the trailer, and it's what they delivered. A movie to turn your brain off, watch two fucking the pilots of the two biggest iconic monsters of cinema duke it out, and just have a fun time. And it delivered exactly that. You mentioned turning your brain off and just enjoying something. So few people have the ability to do that. I like one of my all-time favorite theater moments was when I saw Godzilla: King of the Monsters in 2019 by myself. And when Godzilla came back to life after getting the like the nuclear boost and he comes out of the ocean and his fucking iconic theme starts playing, I got goosebumps and I had a moment of like, fuck, yeah, get that three headed son of a bitch. Like, I, I really got into that. So you got to have those moments. You got to have these movies that aren't just, you know, self-serious melodramatic shit. I mean, sometimes you just want to watch two big monsters fight and team up to fight a bigger monster. Sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, and ultimately that's the the whole fun of the summer movie season. Like, because like you said, there's nothing wrong with the self seriousness. Something wrong with the Oscar. Every type of film has a place. It really does. So there's nothing wrong with having a moment. Be like, I want to watch a film that makes me think. You know, I want to watch a film that challenges me. Like, um, Requiem for a Dream. Right? I watched that. I went to go and like, I want to watch this film. And I know it's going to challenge me, but I want to see it. And yeah. It's a great movie. But then I can turn around and watch something like Godzilla versus Kong, or you know vicious fun really swimmingly and just be like i want to turn my brain off and enjoy what they fucking give me and have fun yeah i'm not gonna lie my top four are all fun movies uh so i think we're in the top three now what do you got yeah I, well speaking of fun and the last horror film on my list so to give you a hint as to our two and one lead you know i think well really two let me know what one is um but for number three, 
the film I was super, super, super looking forward to because of who was attached to direct in the horror genre. One of the greatest modern directors living, in my opinion, who's had oh. several franchises under his belt and got the okay to make the most bonkers, original, out there fucking movie he would make. That is James Wan's Malignant. Thank you to the studio for allowing this film to get made. This was a movie that they clearly had to advertise in a certain way to get people in because what you got is unlike anything Juan has done. It is a bonkers film from me from that opening fucking scene when the doctor's getting handed the shotgun to shoot the patient. You're like, okay, this is the type of film I'm in for. Got it. Um, and the rock music plays, which for me, like I, I've talked about like things that kind of like that make me nostalgic certain things that you know watching film make me nostalgic and that's actually one of those things when like that um dark castle kind of did a lot in the late 90s or 2000s but like when like rock music was like or metal would get played during the horror films like opening dial sequence or the end credits something i missed and to hear that music play when they were doing the tire scenes i was like oh my god this is going okay okay and the whole film, like, from the crazy shit that's happening throughout, I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, the Giallo influences are very evident and clear throughout the film. With And then, you know, I think the biggest thing, and might as well just go on and get to it, that, you know, the, oh shit, the movie, the moment that became, like, the talk of the town, that I literally, all week, and that's all I heard about was the fucking ending to this movie. And um, after seeing it, holy shit, I can see why. When you... Look, the I'm going to ruin it now because I'm assuming if you're listening, you've seen it. But you're like, if you have a friend in your life that hasn't seen this film and they're interested, do not tell them how this fucking film is. For the love of God, do not tell them. Because the moment you get to the prison and you and the reveal starts to hit, holy shit! I had guessed at least half of what I saw and everything. Like, there's some kind of twin involved. I think that's as far as I got. What I saw, though, like, the ultimate, like, thing, I didn't guess that. Like, the ultimate, like, real, it's, like, the tumor on the back of her fucking head or whatever, like, the, the bar they get fully cut off. I didn't guess that much. Um, but that prison sequence was one of the most bonkers, insane, awesome, fun sequences this year in horror, as far as I'm concerned. Seeing her, like, rip through people's stomach, dodging fucking bullets out of nowhere, like, like yeah like oh my god i could watch that scene like ad nauseum all day and not at any point not be entertained um james ron just went for broke he he was clearly ruining his influence on he was taking advantage of that he had all this clout to get a film like this made and look you know if all the people are sitting there bitching that nothing original gets made in hollywood when james Bond can make a franchise you give him so much money that he was able to sequelize Saw, sequelize Insidious, and sequelize The Conjuring, and you kept getting those films, but then he does something like Malignant, and it doesn't do as hot. Stop bitching that you're not getting original films, because you got something pretty fucking original. And again, you didn't go out on trips to see it. I, I'm sure it made a good amount off its HBO Max uh, streams, but yeah, like, if you haven't seen this film, or you have someone you know who has seen this industry, show them this film, but do not tell them the fucking ending. Yeah, this was a bonkers one. Uh, not at all what I expected, but leave it to James Wan to continually 
just rewrite the fucking horror movie template and give us the craziest shit again and again and again. He is a very talented filmmaker. And this was just, I had, I said, what the fuck audibly like three times. <laughs> it was just insane. Uh, and good. So yeah, malignant. I'm really surprised. So that was the last horror movie on your, on your list. huh? Yeah. I can't believe that Candyman and Halloween didn't make it on either of our lists. Yeah, Candyman, Halloween, and Spiral, I wrote down and I was like, no. Wow. But I could not do, I could not put Malignant. Like, I would not live with myself if I didn't put this on because I fucking adore this movie and just it's go for broke aesthetic. And like I said, I know James Ron, like, I love the comments he was making before the movie when he was like, you know, they, you know, when I did Saw, I became a Saw guy. When I didn't see this, I was in this guy. Conjuring, I was conjuring. He's like, I want to be, I want to reinvent, I want to do something different. I don't, he's like, I don't like putting myself in a box. And um, he's like, I think, and Mary says, like, I think people wanting something original, they want something different. And he goes, That's what I want to give them. Yeah, for sure. I love it when he steps out of horror, he delivers two billion dollar box office hits with Furious Seven and uh, Aquaman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's the man. Yeah, except apparently Vin Diesel didn't want him back, but DC's like, do you want to do Aquaman too, please? God, what an idiot that man is. Not James Wan, Vin Diesel. Um, my number three is once again goes back to you, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I had such high hopes for this. I've been a lifelong Ghostbusters fan, and this was—I just was really hoping this was going to be a redemption for that shitty 2016 movie and be respectful to Harold Ramis. And it was both and so much more. And yeah, it is, you know, it rehashes the first Ghostbusters a little bit with Gozer and all that shit. But I liked that shit. I liked seeing Gozer again. I liked seeing Zool again. I liked the little mini Stay Puffs. I liked seeing all that shit again. It made me happy. And the new stuff, the new cast was fantastic. The whole, you know, Egon moves to the Midwest because evil's coming and all that. Like, I, I liked all that. And, you know, the, the podcast kid made me laugh so much. I loved Paul Rudd constantly putting on horror movies, like super crazy 80s horror movies for the summer school kids. That, that was a great re- recurring joke. Um, the ghost effects are really good. I thought the effects on Harold Ramis, like it, it looked really good, and I like the way they did that. He's a ghost. Um, this is a very touching movie, a really cool movie. I loved seeing J.K. Simmons for like two seconds as uh, Shandor. I was like, "Why is he here? Oh, he's dead." <laughs> and I was like, "I took him." I was like, "Oh shit, J.K. Simmons, he's gone." Okay. And then fucking Gozer is an uncredited Olivia Wilde, which is crazy. Yeah, I was. I did not know that. I mean, I can see it now. I'm thinking like, oh, how did I miss that? But yeah, I remember thinking like, it looks like Olivia Wilde, but I'm like, it's probably not. I had that happen to me actually. Just quick side note: I watched Collateral for the first time uh, yesterday, and <laughs> there's a character in that movie who's this like this Mexican drug lord, and I saw him, and I'm like, oh shit, wow, he's like diet Javier Bardem, and then he started talking, and I'm like, wait a minute. I looked it up and it fucking was Javier Bardem. <laughs> it was like a young 2004 Javier Bardem. And I'm like, well, shit, he's aged like wine. Anyway, 
Um, yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife really pulled out all the stops to be a great passing of the torch movie and a great legacy film for the original team. And I just couldn't get enough. I want more, but I'd be, I'd under, I'd be understandable if we don't get more. This is a good cap. Yeah. Yeah, like, like if we don't get more, fine. I'm all about ending on a high note. Um, but yeah, I'd be totally down for it. Like, like I said, I would follow this new cast into a new movie. Like, 100%. I really like them. Yeah, straight up. There's something strange in the neighborhood. I know exactly who I'm going to call now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would call them first. They're going to get this shit done quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, your number two. My number two goes back to you, and that's James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. I look like many, I cannot stand Suicide Squad, their first movie. I, when people tell me they like it, I sit there thinking, I don't know what you liked. I have questions. Like, please explain to me, other than like Will Smith's Deadshot, Margot Robbie's Holly Quinn what you liked about that movie. Oh, and Amanda Waller. I liked Amanda Waller. Um, I like besides those three, what? Um, this film, though, if you tell me you didn't like it, I have questions as well. I'm like, this was so much better. Um, it's like you said, he, he, he didn't, to his credit, he didn't completely shit on the original film. He did have it still very much be like, it's a sequel to that film happened. Like, he, not ignoring it. But he took characters that did work and brought them back like Holly Quinn, like Amanda Raleigh. He, and like you said, he took someone like Rick Flagg and showed us that Joel Kinnaman actually just got handed a shitty script. And that he he actually really is good at this character. I really liked Rick Flagg. I was genuinely sad when yeah. he killed Rick Flagg off. I was like, no, I like him. Yeah, I know. Um, I was surprised at that. Like, how do you... He's a character who is so fucking white bread bland in the first movie. But here... You, you care. And, it's, you know, James Gunn, like you said, he didn't shit on the first movie. James Gunn had every opportunity and reason to shit on that movie, to badmouth Disney, but he never did because he's a class act. And I love that about yeah. him. And you, and you mentioned, like, how he can make us love these characters like Polka Dot Man or, like, my personal favorite was King Shark. Like, I fucking adored King Shark in this movie. Um, but it's because he knows how to take obscure characters and infuse them with heart. And that's the key. I don't think a lot of people like pick up on it. He's like, yes, he has a lot of outrageous humor to explain there. I mean, he's at, in his heart, he's a trauma guy. You know, that's how you got to start. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you've caught it. I, I know I watched the multiple times with Lloyd Kaufman, you know, cameos in this as well. Um, so, you know, at his heart, he is that. He is going to put outrageous humor and just in the movie and push it as far as he can, especially with the PG-13, or in this case, have our rating to go, you know, full on with. Um, but he's also good at giving you a lot of heart. Um, you know, for as for every funny moment, like when he just was just yelling, fuck you to his daughter, and I'm dying. Or like, you know, the, the scene where they go in the camp and they're having the fight about who can kill more creatively. Yeah, the little just that, like, for every scene like that, you get um, really great scenes with King Shark that humanized him with in the bus with um, Idris Elba and Ratcatcher 2, and they're like having that discussion. You, you get a lot of great scenes like that. Or like even like the nuanced friendship of Rick Flagg and Holly Quinn. Like 
red flags the one that tells them no we gotta go get harley like no one no one else gave a shit they're like yeah you're mission but as soon as he heard she's alive he's like no we gotta go get her and then i remember when he died and she finds out she's like he was my friend like there was a genuine friendship there and it's just like it's his ability to do that like give you like this really funny out there humor that just makes you die laughing um but it makes it with so much heart it's great yeah, that was one of the most enjoyable theater experiences of the, of the year for me. I just couldn't stop laughing and, oh yeah, you know, got I, emotional I just, too. I still laugh when they're like trying to rescue Harley. And she's like, oh, hey guys. And like hit Rick Flag's face. It's just like, what? But we, no, we were going to save you and it, it was a really good plan. And, and I was like, oh, I can go back and you guys can do it. No, it's, it's too late now. <laughs> that's just patronizing <laughs> my favorite moment hands down was a- after the the, the kill off between Bloodsport and Peacemaker when Bloodsport tells him nobody likes to show off and he's like Ex- except when what we're showing off is dope as fuck and he's like god fuck he's right <laughs> <laughs> I like I like pay off to that joke <laughs> when, they, when they go and they're like why did my man not alert anyone why did my men not alert me? They're just like, uh. I love that Polka Dot Man just kept seeing his mom as everybody. God, even if Seth, as sad as I was, Seth, it was funny. I mean, he's like, I'm a fucking superhero. I love seeing Star of the Conqueror. Like, that's a character I never thought I'd see on the big screen. And here he is just as a ridiculous over the top alien starfish. And it's exactly what I, what I wanted. Yeah. I love Jesus's almost fear of rats. That scream he did. <laughs> when the rats stand there offering him the thief. <coughs> why are you in your, why are you in your underwear? <laughs> I love I when. Moment or charred for freedom. I love when they wake up and King Shark's about to eat Ratcatcher too, and they're like, "Hey, put her down!" <laughs> and she's completely asleep; she didn't even notice. <laughs> Bird, who gave an hour to comps? <laughs> oh God, yeah. Uh, like he was running around, friends in the aquarium. <laughs> Oh boy, God! I might watch that tonight just for kicks. It's such a great movie. <laughs> I love when King Shark Shark is like uh, his disguise, and he's holding up his finger through <laughs> a mustache. It's like, no, it's not working. Right? And he gets like legitimately mad and hops <laughs> off. I can't believe James Gunn got Stallone to do that. Like that was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like fucking sly as King Shark. I love he got to he got Calendar Man who was his brother to say to call him um fuck call polka dot man a pussy that was great. I love when that one like CIA person just fucking decks Waller with a keyboard <laughs> and takes control of the mission, and then later she's got an ice pack on her. Head. I love it when she's making the team. She's like, all of you have unique 
and different abilities. And she details everything about Peacemaker and Idris Soba. I thought you said we all have unique different abilities. It's like it's the same shit. He's like, yeah, but I'm better. <laughs> oh, praise to John Cena for just being a funny son of a bitch. He is this year, especially with Suicide Squad and Vacation Friends. He has been just consistently hilarious. I've stood by that. That man excels in comedy so much because he knows how to just like have fun like he knows how to just fucking go with it and have a lot of fun it's point that like it was like noticeable he was almost uncomfortable with fat f9 and not cracking jokes like it was weird it was like come on like this guy's funny like you lost the rock and you're not getting him back so like have him crack jokes have him fucking realize what he's in i mean i wonder you know since obviously john cena is about to be you know i mean he's already a big box office draw people love him so He's clearly going to get fired from the F9 from the F franchise because he's upstaging Vin Diesel. So who's the next wrestler <laughs> that Vin's gonna get to be second banana and then upstage him? I would say Batista, but I feel like Batista's already becoming a bigger trial than Vin Diesel as well. Yeah, he would never stoop that low at this point. No. <laughs> Wish Macho Man was still alive. Show me and Randy Savage. I got a secret, secret brother, and off screen, you just hear, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all you need to know. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> I would actually watch the shit out of that. I would too, in a heartbeat. <laughs> I feel like, give him all of the dialogue, because as we know, Macho Man didn't know how a human talks or function because he was constantly on Coke. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm sure he once tested for blood in his Coke system at some point. Like the guy was just like just on 24 7. I miss him. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, oh, I also love the opening. I love how this film pulls the rug out from in the opening and makes you think, like, oh, this is the squad that we're following. And then it's like, actually, no, we're killing the shit out of this one. It's actually the squad over here. It's the B team. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. Oh, God, such a good movie. movie. Yeah, awesome. Okay, that's uh, it's that that was your two. Yes. All right, my two is one of the most badass westerns I've seen in a very long time, and the best movie Netflix put out this year. The harder they fall. Uh, God, damn. Isn't Idris Elba in this one also? He's the bad guy. God, he had a fucking manger year. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's this crazy ass uh, crime boss who runs this uh, free black town in the West somewhere. And they all fear him. And he is like. Uh, he killed Jonathan Major's family, so Jonathan Majors is after him the whole movie, and he like robs Elba's gang and steals like 50 grand from them. And they demand like you are going to give us that money back or we're going to murder so many people. It's such a badass movie. The soundtrack is epic. The entire cast is fully loaded, and every character is uh, is a standout. Uh, this was fun. This was a fun movie. I really enjoyed this. I want more people to watch it. I want to talk about it more. I'm probably going to pick this as a film in the next few months for the for uh, the Filmgasm podcast because I want to revisit it and talk about it at length. Uh, yeah, this was so cool. <laughs> 
would have been my number one had I not seen the next movie. <laughs> so this has been one that's been on my radar. I've heard a lot of people who've seen it praise it. Um, talk about how much fun it is and like I, I keep hearing like the term like hopefully this is what westerns will be moving forward because of how much yeah like, people have been looking so i'm like I'm, I'm interested definitely in seeing this one plus i like the cast like i'm, I'm i've seen um, lovecraft country so like and obviously it's turning loki big like big you know john the majors like that guy is a fucking talent on the rise as far as i'm concerned oh in um, this movie i had only seen uh his brief bit in Loki, and I was like, "Oh, this is all right." Kang, okay. Now I saw this. I'm like, "Fucking Kang, bring it on!" Like, I I love Jonathan Majors now just from that movie. So, he, yeah, dude, he knows how to be. He knows how to be charismatic and like draw you in. He's fucking like he, there's some magnetism to him when he plays a role. Yeah, um, you you got him. You've got Delroy Lindo as this like seasoned marshal who's like trying, you know, trying to get Idris Elba for his own. Uh, his own reasons you've got uh lakeith stanfield it's like the fastest gun in the west who's just like charismatic but super twisted guy who's like don't try it i will kill you because people are constantly coming up to him and being like you really that fast he's like yeah i am that fast and it's crazy um <laughs> just thinking about it i'm like oh god damn it's so entertaining regina king uh zazzy beats um i'm sure i'm leaving some people out uh Idris but Elba, this obviously yeah Idris Elba, obviously. And it's, it's crazy, like, the, the heist to, to get him free is so crazy just because how, like, under how much lock and key he's under, to the point where you're like, what, who is this guy? And it's, like, the payoff is real. Like, he really does just, he's a force of nature and how fucking sadistic he is. Oh. To, quote, to quote Hobbs and Shaw, he's the black Superman. <laughs> he's the black Superman. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> it's it's an awesome movie. I uh, I encourage everybody to check it out. Um, yeah, like I I love a good western that knows how to be fun because there's so many westerns out there that try to like change the genre or try to be you know super dramatic and those are good too. But sometimes I just like a good old fashioned you know once upon a time in the west kind of thing. You know, I like and, something where I. I'll say just for me personally, I'm a big fan of spaghetti western, so I like an action packed, a fun western. Because to me, it's just like it's fun. Don't get me wrong; like I have the serious ones I can watch. Like I'm, I'm currently watching um this the Yellowstone spinoff, 1883. It's mm-hmm. an actual restaurant in Sam Elliott. By the way, like quick side note, he's fucking crushing it in that show. Holy shit, Sam Elliott! Like he's always been great, but wow. Um, cool. I'm I'm seriously blown away. I've never like I I yeah sorry he. Sorry. Um, but there is a room for like that serious meditative type restroom. There are good ones, but I just I'm I'm more inclined to watch something like an Italian spaghetti western or like something like the Heart of Life Fall where they're having fun, it's action packed. Because there's some out like watching those westerns that's more inviting to me. Yeah, well, also this is a film, you know, there's so few black westerns out there that don't deal with slavery. Because and this film doesn't. This is a film about Every character in this movie is based on an actual black outlaw in history. All the character names are taken from actual history books of people who are kind of erased from history. And this movie reclaims their identities. And I love that. Like it's, it's built on real stories, real legends of the West. And that's what we need more of. You know, the truth is always so much stranger than fiction. And this movie is exaggerated, but it's built on a foundation of history. And that's just fucking fantastic. So I got nothing but praise for this movie. 
Okay. Yeah, this one, this one's on. I, I need to check this one out. Like, legit check this one out. Um, is it safe to say that we can just go ahead and say our number one together? Because I feel like we both have the same number one. Well, that depends. Did you love so- Did you love Cop Shop as much as I did? <laughs> just, just kidding. I, mean, I yeah. like Cop I did enjoy it, but. <laughs> Yeah, we're very much on the same page. And if you've been listening to the past few weeks, this is not a secret. <laughs> uh, no. So I think it's safe to say that I'll say for both of us, both of our number one is Spider-Man No Way Home. Yep, you would be correct. <laughs> I sure said a really shitty movie just to throw you off. <laughs> yep, Gunpowder Milkshake. You nailed it. Yep. Got it. <laughs> No sudden move. Number one, of course. Oh, God. Ice road. That was almost on my top. Hey, you know what? That was a little entertaining. False positive. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, but we've seen so many movies this year. Fuck. Spider-Man. Uh, <coughs> our only to date three-hour episode. So that should tell you right there how much we had to say about this movie. Um. We are the champions. I'm gonna leave it at that purposely off key because I don't want to get sued by a queen anytime soon. Um, also, I can't sing, so it helps. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, go on. It's it was an experience. I mean, this was a film I like, uh, unlike anything I've ever seen. And I think about Marvel, I, re- I was thinking about this earlier today when I saw The Avengers in 2012. I remember thinking, this is the greatest cinematic achievement I've ever seen. I remember thinking, oh, my God, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Hawkeye, Black Widow, the Hulk together. Oh, my God, nothing will ever top this. And then I saw Infinity War. And I'm like, Thanos, Infinity Stones, half the universe is dead. I will never see anything that awesome again. And then I saw Endgame. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? They brought everybody back, and they're all fighting Thanos and his army at the same time. Holy fuck. Captain America's lifting the hammer. You said the line Avengers assembled. Oh my yeah. god. What? This is I'll never see anything like this badass again. And then <laughs> I saw three generations of Spider-Man fight the Sinister Five, as I'm calling them, on the Statue of Liberty. And I said it again. And I'm like, no studio has ever made me say that multiple times. <laughs> and this is yeah. just yeah. unbelievable. Not only just like you see them fight, but you get complete story arcs. That's why it's kind of I'm getting kind of pissed off and annoyed. Everyone's like, make Spider-Man four, make this amazing Spider-Man three. First off, you fuckers didn't even like the first two, so fuck off having this renewed fucking love. Like, and so like, it's not going to happen. They, they these actors were interested to come back for this movie. They're not doing a whole movie after this. Um, but also the reason it makes you mad because you're ignoring the fact that you got complete arcs in this movie with those two it's like people are ignoring that but you got complete conclusions to their character i mean you had in the case of like you know you got that line where he said me and mj made it work it was like oh even if they're not married they're together and like you got that satisfaction knowing like admittedly like their relationship was rocky all three fucking films so getting that fucking confirmation was like oh thank you yes 
And obviously the bigger one for a lot of people that got cheers out of the fucking audience the first time I saw this mix up. I saw it twice in theaters. I don't know about you. Um, but the first time was when Andrew Garf for Spider-Man saves MJ. Like the their ability to do that and conclude these story arcs and find ways to again we talked about it with Endgame, but fan service in the best possible way, whether it be that or like for me and you know, and how much I freaked out and kind of like had my little boy squeal was when Tony McGarth met Doc Ock for the first time. They started playing the theme song and he was yeah. like, Peter, my boy, like the dialogue was so pitch perfect to that movie. And I, I almost kind of teared up when he was like, I'm trying to do better. And I was like, you, you, I, uh, I didn't realize that was a throwback line from Spider-Man too. Like when Peter met, octavius for the first time and octavius tells like you know dr connor's told me you're brilliant but you're lazy peter tells him i'm trying to do better i didn't know i didn't realize that was a throwback it's like yeah. or a callback beautiful <laughs> yeah it, and yeah marvel like it paid off so much stuff the banter amongst them was great it does just some really humorous moments but i thought and like i and like andrew Garfield, like i Look, my heart always goes to Garth because of the age I saw the first film, how much those first two films mean to me. Um, but boy, did he fucking just bring it when he was in that movie. He was fucking hilarious. Um, and even before that, even like it just taking that aspect away, this was still a fucking tight, good film. Yeah. Like the the arc, it it takes you along for Tom Holland's Spider Man. Like, I've always thought, like, Tom Holland is a really good actor, and I, I just, I do feel unfortunate that, like, kind of, like, Daniel, like, a lot, like, Daniel Radcliffe, right? Took forever for him to really break out of the Harry Potter thing. I'm watching the reading, so this is a little bit more fresh in my mind. Um, and, you know, he did, he has. He's finally kind of, people, yeah, a lot of people still such him as Harry Potter, but he can do other shit now a, little, a lot easier. I do think that sucks for Tom Holland that he seems to be having that same issue where too many people just see him as Spider-Man. I don't, I don't think that's a, a him issue. That's you as an audience not realizing that they're fucking actors anyway. They can mm. act yeah. and do stuff. But, you know, what he... In this movie, he really fucking brings it. I mean, I... Both times, and I knew it was coming the second time, so it was my second time watching it, the anime scene. God damn, like, his performance really sold, like, the grief and the sadness when he's like, Come on, wake up. And he's like trying to wake her up. Like uh, the way he does that, it's fucking beautiful and depressing. He 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 aces it. He brings it so much to this movie. Well, I just love that it none of it felt forced. Like everyone was like, you know, we are, are we gonna see more Spider-Man? Like, are we gonna see the old villains? Is Daredevil gonna be in it? And it was yes on all counts, but none of it felt like all right, fine here. It was all organic, it all mattered to the story. And that is the best part. It was just a constant, you know, well-told story that just happened to have some incredible fan service moments in it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I will I never. Know. Yeah. I was going to say, even Daredevil, like, you could argue that that might, for some people, feel like the most, like, cameo, angel, like, for the fan type moment. But if you have seen the Daredevil show and you've seen all three seasons, they get all they finally get their clout at the end of season three. Like that was one of the big things was they finally became a lot more recognized 
because of their de- <coughs> they're dealing with Wilson Fisk in that season. Who, again, really good week by the way from Marvel. If you watched Hawkeye, because that left a huge bomb leading into fucking Spider Man. But uh, you know, like that was a big end for the the series was they finally became like a, a legitimate law firm that people went to. So it makes sense that when they say we need a really good lawyer, Matt Mordark, he has that legitimate legitimacy now. Mm-hmm. So even that was like a little moment like that, you know? Yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home was an experience. I'll never forget seeing that movie for the first time. Just having this like, I, I had <laughs> such high expectations. Everyone did. And I think some of us were worried that it was, it might not deliver that there's no way they were going to pull off a multiversal Spider-Man movie in live action. But not only did they pull it off, they like blow, they blew those expectations out of the water and delivered the greatest film of the year, one of the most incredible comic book movies of all time, and the definitive Spider-Man movie. So, number one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, without a doubt, this film completely blew me away. Um, and I'm glad I saw it second time because it I got you know second time the crowd was a lot more quiet. I was able to really like watch it, and everything I felt the first time stayed even without the same crowd experience but even kind of going back to that i just it was so satisfying that this was a movie that got people to come back to theaters in troves like yes i know we also said like as ever there was a lot of blockbusters before this that did it i have no time to die made a lot of mice but we're going in to see the new bond but this was the one that really got people to come back and you know in a year that's been marked by big time directors wanting to have their two cents said about how they feel about the comic book movies, right? And I know I sound that, but you know, as much as I like a film like Goodfellas or The Revenant, you know, those aren't going to get huge audience reactions. Let's just be honest. Like they'll laugh at the jokes, besides that, you're not gonna get a huge audience reaction. To be in a theater, and this, I mean the point is like this is why I go to theaters, right? And why I enjoy the theater experience. To go to a movie like this on it's opening night and be with a crowd where everyone's on the same page of excitement and to get excited and cheer when Matt Murdock popped up, when the Spider-Man popped up, when the collective like silence when Aunt May died, like that kind of audience reaction, that kind of participation, that's why I go to theaters. And that's why you I get so annoyed when they fucking want to shit on these superhero films because I'm like, that's what a film's supposed to do to me. It's get me on the same page. It's why I love seeing horror films in the theater because super films, horror films, comedy, genre shit has led to some of the best theater experiences in my life every time. Right. Same here, man. Same here. I, you know, I'll never forget uh, when we went and saw a double feature of 21 and 22 Jump Street when that came out. And we were both like nearly dead from laughing so hard at Ice Cube finding out Jonah Hill was banging his daughter. Like moments like that, you savor, you, you remember them, you keep them, you know, you keep them close. Like, you know, um, Austin and I going to see the burbs and laughing our asses off at that hilarious movie, like movie, you know, a theater experience matters. It's a significant part of a movie fan's life. And I love that Spider-Man resurrected that for some people. It brought that back. It was a billion dollar grocer in a pandemic when people were saying the theaters were dead and now they've, you know, they've got more life than they have than they've had in years. And I really hope this year reflects that. Um, I'm, I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say yes. 
they're going to. I think it will. Based off the freaking the first card reaction, they played the again. If you're watching this, I'm hoping you've seen the damn movies we're talking about. Um, when they played the scissor of the trailer for Doctor Strange 2, people were cheering. Like, people, the audience just was like, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it was just like the same reaction we had for like two and a half hours of Spider Man they gave to this fucking trailer for Doctor Strange. So, like, I think, yeah, I think if anything, this reignited that kind of love. And I think, because, like, for me personally, like, I thought the film Spider Marvel was been kind of hit and miss this year. Like I said, I already said what I said about Black Widow. I really like Sean Chaos in my top 10. Personally, I thought Eternals was a big fucking misstep, and I wasn't the biggest fan, but, like, this film delivered. And I and it, if anything, like, if they can keep that train going, like, I think they're in for a good year with their films, with them alone, and hopefully with everything else that's coming out as well. Fuck yeah. That's a good, that's a good way to end this, I think. Uh, let's go ahead and recap our lists. Uh, you go first. All right. 10, Godzilla versus Kong. 9, Wolves Within. 8, Ghostbusters Afterlife. 7, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. 6, <coughs> that tower takes it out of me. 6, Vicious Fun. 5, Willy's Wonderland. 4, Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. 3, Malignant. 2, The Suicide Squad. Gotta say the, it's like the fast and the furious. Um, and then one Spider-Man No Way Home. And mine, number 10, the Mitchells versus the Machines. Number nine, Coda. Number eight, Pig. Number seven, Raya and the Last Dragon. Number six, The Suicide Squad. Number five, Moxie. Number four, Godzilla versus Kong. Number three, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Number two, The Harder They Fall. Number one, Spider-Man No Way Home. Take it from us. That is the best of 2021. And we know we put in the work. <laughs> yes. And look, and, and no, I know there's probably going to be something. Again, to keep in mind, these, these lists we make are so are subjective, the personal lists. It's, yeah. Because there's a lot of films that I like that didn't make, like, I really like No Time to Die. That If you're a James Bond fan, check that damn film out. It is so good. The only, the only reason it didn't make it was because I do have my issues with the villain and Rami Malik. I think he is incredibly fucking underwhelming. Um, you know how big a Bond fan I am, and I was, I I liked it a lot, but yeah, it didn't make my top ten, and that was a shock to me personally, because I was, I had a lot of expectations with that. It was really good, but it is just, it's the fucking villain. A Bond movie's a Bond villain is crucial to a Bond movie's success, as far as I'm concerned, and I just, yeah. I couldn't get into it. Um, I really liked Licorice Pizza, that was very good. Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie. I happen to enjoy Dune. I know a lot of people didn't. Belfast was really good. So there was a lot of stuff this year that was really good. But, you know, it's a, we only got 10 slots, and we want to reserve those for films that, you know, stuck with us. And Yeah, like, uh, yeah, like for example, I had, like, like I said, I had Spiral, Quiet Place 2. I actually had Pig ran down. Um, Last Night in Soho. I'm really pissed that people didn't go see that fucking movie. Um, Black Friday. I really mad when like good movies come out, and especially especially when people are like, bitching about nothing original coming out. And almost consistently, every original film that came out this year bombed at the goddamn box office. Last Night Soho, Antlers, Memorality. I'm like, stop bitching about something original that you want if you're not going to go fucking see it in the theaters and show the studios that that's what you want. Again, and- you know, all the studios can do some better marketing on their end, 
but still, just well, that's what you can do with an audience. I mean, we knew it was happening. Like, as far you know, we we put our money where our mouth is. We saw the original stuff. We saw the sequels. We saw the reboots. We saw the blockbusters. But we saw the indie stuff too. This is the show for what's happening now, and that is a it's a good it's good to have a, a good balance, a good variety. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, obviously, she's so much, but for those of you complaining, like, show them with your money. Obviously, yeah. like, by all means, go watch Batman No Way Home, but also go see Matt Morale. Go watch, or if you're a big Fast Furious fan, go watch F9, but go watch Antlers. Like, show them that you want a world with both, because when you're showing, like, when an original film flops, but, like, the big franchise one does well, that shows them that that's what they need to keep doing and not being original. Yeah. So. <laughs> So that's all I'm saying. Like, show support. Like, um, and then like I said, like, also look on indie on the streamers. So like I said, Vicious Fun is a Shutter movie. Like, it what <laughs> dang it, wide release. It played a few festivals, went to Shutter. So like, <laughs> look on the look on the streamers. Sometimes they get good stuff. Yep, <coughs> good advice. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. If you like what we do, you can always follow us on the socials: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Filmgasm Productions. You can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com. If you want to send us a suggestion, some hate mail, whatever you want. You can always visit the website, filmgasm.com. We've got daily reviews, uh, articles, upcoming trailers for stuff, that all sorts of stuff that's coming out. Uh, we do not discriminate by genre. Uh, if you want to support us, you can always click on support this podcast, throw us some green. We, we'd appreciate that, but not necessary. Next week, the releases of 2022 officially start for us. It's going to be kind of a soft intro to 2022. In theaters, we've got The 355, an all-female action thriller starring Diane Kruger, Penelope Cruz, Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, and Bing Bing Fon. That's a great cast. However, it is directed by Simon Kinberg, who I believe is a fucking hack. So I'm on the fence. I'm going to wait for the reviews. Uh, Simon Kinberg is the guy who fucked up the Phoenix Saga twice. (laughs) So I'm done with him. Yeah, he, he doesn't give me hope. And like we kind of talked about before we recorded, we got this movie ad nauseum like last year. So the fact that literally this is what they're starting with, I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I, I gave up when Kate came out on Netflix. I'm like, all right, I'm not doing this for the fifth time. So I'm going to probably skip this one unless the reviews are like through the roof. Um, then on Prime Video, we've got The Tender Bar, a coming of age drama directed by George Clooney. And starring Ty Sheridan, Ben Affleck, Lily Rabe, and Christopher Lloyd, among others. It's getting pretty eviscerated. Currently sits at a 50% Rotten Tomatoes score. So again, I'm on the fence. <laughs> look, Not a good start. Looks like Dump You Aries 11 will. Look, you know, you, you, you know me. I'm, I'm mostly really only caring about Scream. And uh, I think Morbius actually comes out the week after or two weeks after. Um, yeah. So those are the two I want to see. Uh, more so scream uh, morbius um i'm just it's, it's a curiosity like i want that to be good but like especially now that no way home came out when that film was supposed to be originally released what they've dropped in the trailer with like michael king come back as vulture like i'm just curious what the fuck's even going on with the movie um <laughs> Same. but scream i'm like i'm all in for god damn am i all in for scream that trailer rocks as far as i'm concerned um like you said i know you mentioned it i it Legit shivers with you when um, he says, uh, hello, Sydney. It's an honor. It's like, oh, God. That freaks me out. And like 6'5", Ghostface freaks me out. <laughs> they get a whole actor. Like, God damn. Yeah. 
I don't know if that's a trick of the camera or that guy's just huge, but I'm excited. Um, so next week, uh, we'll probably be doing some kind of countdown, ranking, draft, something more fun. Uh, don't miss Killer Clowns from Outer Space on Wednesday's Filmgasm. The premiere episode of Beyond the Bad this Friday with Batman and Robin. And the iconic 1994 drama, The Shawshank Redemption on Oscar Sunday. As always, have a great week, but more importantly, have a great year and keep watching movies.